All right. Is J.K. Chesterton sitting on a... Right here. The Mickey Mouse, the Death Valley guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got that uh, for nothing. Not nothing, but I got it uh, remaindered at chapters when chapters still had remaindered, book, remaindered books. Oh, yeah. I was pretty happy to find that. Those old Floyd Gottfriedson ones. Yeah, I was working my way through them. And then, you know, you reach a point where you're just like, I don't know if I can do it anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I got up to like volume 10 and just like, oh, God, okay. I like, I enjoyed them, right? Yeah. I yeah. love the artwork in them. Oh, my gosh. The way that guy drew was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> I don't need any more. Yeah. I was kind of, yeah. It's sort of hard to, I don't know. It's, it's expensive as well. Yeah. Is the other problem. Like you bought 10. That's like. Three hundred dollars. Yeah, three hundred dollars or... worth of Mickey Mouse books <laughs> are on my shelf. <laughs> and I mean, they're great, mm-hmm. but don't you think they're made more for libraries than they're made for human beings? Yeah, like it should be treated like it's almost a reference book. Yeah. Like I want to be able to see it. I was reading something uh, ancient comic wise. I think it was that great big. You probably have it. That big thick uh, the encyclopedia of comics or oh, the whatever. smithsonian collection of comic strips i think so sometimes it's in separate volumes and sometimes it's in a great big volume mm, maybe I, I don't know i i the only one i can think of is it was it comic strips or was it comic books comic strips okay yeah so yeah i think the smithsonian the what the bill blackbeard i think it's that one yeah. yeah yeah and it was all put into a big book a few years ago my i got it from the the mike roberts estate <laughs> okay okay <laughs> but you know you're looking in there at uh is it terry and the pirates sure or one of those kind of uh, continuing things. You mm-hmm. say, I just want to read those. I don't yeah. want to buy them. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. you do a bit of research and then you find, are we doing this? Are we on right now? We, we sure, we're on. <laughs> Good. We're on. <laughs> let's, let's, let's start the show properly, actually, before we continue on with this conversation, which kind of, <laughs> kind of overran us before we started the show, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Explanations. This is uh, Welcome to Stinky Dragon. This week we're doing a true Dedrick Boxing Day celebration. Yes. Because unfortunately Ian had a bad fall earlier this week. Uh, knocked himself unconscious. Holy shit. He was lying unconscious on the sidewalk. Fortunately, surrounded by kind people. Uh, someone who was very kind, of course, you know, tried to lighten his load by taking his wallet. No, I'm joking. That did not happen. <laughs> they, uh, they, he was taken to the hospital, went to an uh, emergency, and uh, was advised to take it easy for the next few days. Mentally not doing anything too mentally taxing. And as everyone knows, talking to me for two hours is very mentally taxing. I'll so, see how I go. Yeah, you'll, you're going to have some trouble too. <laughs> you're going to be very tired at the end of this. So um, so Jason, who was going to be a guest on the show anyway, has now been bumped up from guest to guest host. And that's how we're working it. Hello, folks. It's me, <laughs> Jason Dedrick. <laughs> yes. Happy Boxing Day. Happy New Year's Day. Happy Christmas Day. Happy Kwanzaa. Yeah, I guess this will be... I guess this will be coming out on New Year's Day. I think so. That wow. will be Saturday. That's right? weird because we came out on Christmas Day, and now we're coming out on New Year's Day. I'm I'm spending all of the holidays cr- hunched over a computer, <laughs> listening to myself again, going, "Oh, what did I say that for?" That's my usual reaction. Do you? This is a good question for a sure. podcaster. Do you listen to the whole show again before it goes up? Uh, not strict, strictly speaking, not in t- to the entirety of it, but I do go back through the entire show. And I do make notes on what we talked about. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I, what I normally, I used to skip every two minutes, but I've decided that every three minutes is perfectly fine, and that's one minute faster than it was before. So now I, I go, I skip. Like I'll just go three minutes in. I'll listen to the beginning, 
Then I'll listen to three minutes in, then six minutes in, nine minutes in, 12 minutes, et cetera, et cetera. And whatever we're talking about, I will note down. Because we, I find that most conversations tend to last two to three minutes anyway, that we don't skip that. We're not quite... We're not like complete squirrels or, <laughs> yeah, or that... squirrel hunting dogs. You know, we can like pay attention to you know some something for at least two minutes, three yep. minutes. And usually I can, and then sometimes, or if it's a longer conversation, I might not note everything down that we talk about. I'll just kind of give a general description right. of a longer section and then uh, carry on from there. Because I used to do that same idea when mm-hmm. we did the podcast, yeah. which we still kind of do, but that's uh, yeah, it's not a story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a story. But you try to remember. Like, I was clever enough that I could remember at the time. Yeah. And i say, oh, I remember what that was. But I should have actually made notes at the time. Yeah. But I would go back, and then I would listen to it, and I'd go, oh, right, I was going to try to put a sound effect in there, or I was going to do that then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I said, I, 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 I don't care. It's, it's going up. Yeah, It's yeah. going up. It's going up. So, but yeah, of course, you you have such detailed notes that you would you would have to have gone back into it. But some of them are are long. I've been on some very long podcasts. Yes, they're very long, and so it's it would just be no fun to like even doing that. It still takes me like two to three hours to get the show ready. So when you skip the three minutes ahead, yeah, and you just listen for a minute and then skip another three minutes. Yeah, usually okay. I'll listen to it while I'm I try and think of something witty way to describe what we're talking about. Often not. I'll just write down what we're talking about. Sometimes I'll like think, oh, this suits this song title from 50 years ago. I'll use that song title <laughs> to describe this part of the thing or whatever, you know. So then, and then I just keep doing that every three minutes. Um, lately, we've been we added we added back in an old feature which was top five songs. So every second episode, I, I have to actually do edit some things in. Mm-hmm. And when I did completely Beatles, I never listened to a a completely Beatles episode over again. Because there's nothing more painful for me than listening to me talk about things I think I know about. <laughs> well, yes, because you were the educator on those ones. So, there, so, so. supposedly. So, <laughs> so there's, it's so painful to do that. So what I would do is if Ian swore, I would note down w- when he swore during the show. And then I would go back in and, and beep it out. Because we, we had a non-explicit oh, rating that's for right. the yeah, Beatles. Yeah, it was for everybody. So That's right. And so, but, so that saved me having to like go back through it and listen for, for swears. I would just note them down during the show. So when he got excited and let one loose, and he, of course he got better as the show went on, real, you know, recognizing that problem, you know, but sometimes he would just get excited and, and you know, uh, fuck would come out or whatever. And I would just be like, okay, one nineteen, <laughs> one minute, 19 seconds in the show. I couldn't even get that far. No, whatever it was. It wasn't that often. It wasn't often, but I would beep them out. There's a little feature in Audacity where you can make a tone. So you just like put, you just highlight over the, the word you want to take out and then you choose tone and it will just erase that word and add a tone. So you can put like the F, you can get the F part of it and then just turn the rest of the word into a tone and people know, those who know, know, and those who don't, don't. And it will search it out and do it through the whole... No, 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 no. Just, oh. just through that one, that, one, <laughs> okay. that one thing. No, it does not search it out. That would be great if it could search it sure, out. Sure, if you could get... <laughs> Get all rid of all your uhs. That'd be really nice to get, have it like an ah uh, eliminator. The Wizard of Oz is what you could be <laughs> if you could come up with the proper program for it. <laughs> Let me finish my Terry and the Pirates. Yeah, thing. let's let's get back to that. That's, this was really interesting to me. Because uh, as I was looking at the thing, Terry and the Pirates, there was something else that was about the same time as Terry and the Pirates. Uh, and you, if you were to rattle off the three other... Buzz Sawyer? Maybe. Captain Easy? Yeah, probably Captain Easy. I have a I have a Captain Easy novel. Not really a novel, like a children's novel. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think it was Captain Easy. Yeah, Captain Easy. World War II pilot? Wash Tubs. That's how it started. Wash Tubs was the original strip, and then Captain Easy became a character in it. And so it was branched off. I think it was a Sunday strip only, 
as 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 uh, Buzz Sawyer, and okay. then or not Buzz Sawyer as, as uh, Captain Easy, and then later on he left that syndicate and started a new strip that he had more control over. Um, what was his name? The the off the artist for that the writer artist. I can't remember anybody's names because <laughs> when I was looking at it, it was a while ago that I was looking at these yeah, books, yeah, yeah. and I would read well, it again and again. Milt Keeneff, of course, did Terry and the Pirates, okay. and then Steve Canyon after that. And, and that was a similar thing where he owned Steve Canyon, but he did not own Terry and the Pirates. And Steve Canyon, if I'm thinking of the artwork, is almost like a grown-up Terry, isn't it? Is he got the same kind of hair? Has he got that curly blonde? Yeah, kind yeah, of, it's very similar. Yeah, and in that kind of classic, you know, Keeneff. That very uh, kind of chiaroscuro style with the shadows and light, not not a lot of tone in it's, it. Yeah, no, it's it's neat looking stuff. And that and so what we were saying there was, I just want to read them. I don't want to own them. I don't want to. I'm afraid that if I started to read them, then I would have to read all of them. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah. Somebody's published bits of them. I think haven't they? They're out there. They're, I well, I do have a bunch of Steve Canyon that that um, Kitchen Sink published in the eighties. Oh, they wow. did them as a as a you know a magazine sized. Like kind of deluxe format, the way with a hardback, not a hardback. No, no it was just a just a magazine. Okay, so it's the stapled, saddle stitched or whatever. And then um, that, I think that's whatever it's called, the stapled thing. It's kind of like Love and Rockets from that t- time period, mm-hmm. or the Spirit collections, because because Har- uh, Warren started uh, Spirit reprints, and then when Warren folded, Har- uh, Kitchen Sink took over oh, okay. and continued on and did the rest of them. The problem is the Warren ones are great because they because they weren't done uh, chronologically; they were just picking shows based on people's favorite stories. Oh, okay. And so the War- Warren guys, they took all the best stories. So you get all the Sans Serif and all those kind of ones, the guy who f- could fly and all those stories are all in the Warren ones. And then the uh, the Kitchen Sink ones are the, the earlier stories that were a little little less, um, the drawings a little less developed. As, you know, like the later styles are Which really is great. like the, what this Mickey Mouse collection we were talking about is. Because yeah. I think the first few strips, maybe the first month or something, was actually written by Walt Disney. Yeah, yeah. Not drawn by Walt, no, but drawn it's... by somebody that's not Floyd either. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and so it's a little bit dodgier. And then you finally get into it. And boy, I just love, I love the idea of that. The same with, like, uh, I remember they started, you might remember this, in about 19... 79 or 80, probably about the same time that the Annie musical became popular. Okay. okay. Annie ended up back, Little Orphan Annie ended up back in the Vancouver Sun. Okay. But I, I don't know if they were reprints. Yeah, I don't know either because it did last for quite a while past the past the life of Harold Gray. Right. But Fanographics, like when they used to do the Nemo, um, there was a... <laughs> Is that Slumberland? Little Nemo and Slumberland? Well, they had a, they had a, um, a reprint, once again, similar size... You know, eight eight and a half by eleven. You know, front page like whatever it would be, seventeen by eleven. If it was folded out, yep. sized magazine that reprinted old strips that was uh, edited by this guy named Rick Marshall, and it was called like the Nemo Illustrated Comics Library or something like that. And so, as part of that, they started branching out and publishing the full size books as well. And so they did do Little Orphan Annie for a while. Unfortunately, they didn't do them all. Mm-hmm. You know, and then IDW does them now, but they do them as these hardcover collections that are really expensive because right. they're hardcover yeah. so they're like 35 dollars a book back to the 35 bucks a book yeah and you yeah. think and you go and, and i i have some of those little orphan annies and they're great mm-hmm. they're just great serial storytelling fantastic right but i got those all at like book warehouse when they were a half price or whatever you know and i just i bought a whole bunch of them at the time as much as they had yeah the only one i pursued from beginning to almost end was the little little abner which I bought at, bought number one, and I think I got to like 16 or 17. 
Were they hardback or they were a paperback? They were a paperback. And uh, the problem is I have some hardback and some paperback, which bugs me to this day. Because it's not... <laughs> it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. It's up and down. Yeah. It's not like a block of stuff. But that's how they came in the store. And I was like, well, I want this one. And so I guess I'll, I guess I'll pay for this extra amount. Did it have a final episode? Did it actually sign off and, and Al Cap said, I'm not doing it anymore. And, and it was, uh, <laughs> they float off into the sunset. I don't know. I don't think, I don't think they finished it. I don't okay. think, because Kitchen Sink went under. Okay. And so it was never taken up. Now, maybe IDW is now producing a million-dollar edition of it. I have no idea. Well, doesn't Fantagraphics do an Annie, a Little Orphan Annie thing now? Maybe they don't. I've lost track of what that. I don't think they do anymore. I think think it's IDW who does it now. And Dick Tracy was being done. That was IDW as well. Oh, okay. Maybe maybe I just assumed it was Mm -hmm. Fantagraphics. Yeah, I, I have some of those Dick Tracys as well. And those are really good. The problem with those, once again, is it's a lot of money to get them. Most of the ones I own, I've got used... Um, there, when I could go down to the States, there's a great bookstore in, in Bellingham called Henderson's. And they had, they seem to always have them in there. Mm. These uh, hardcover collections. Of and those. about half price? Yeah, around yeah. half price or so. So that that seemed worth it there. Because I, I, I love Dick Tracy. The problem with Dick Tracy is, you know, like, it's kind of the thing. We, like, I bought the book, like the heart, the paperback books that came out in the 70s. They put out some edited collections. Like small, like the size of Peanuts books kind yeah, of uh, yeah, an idea? Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. yeah. And they, but they edited the stories down. So they took out a lot of the, the repetitive elements of them. Like, because, <laughs> you know, you have to recap what happened last, <laughs> yesterday, every every day practically. And so yeah. you end up with this really repeating problem of like the first, the first panel is a, is a, is a waste of your time. But you still read it because you're reading it like a book because you just insist, it's like a comic. I'm going to read every, every panel. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I just read this yesterday. And that's not yesterday. I just read this a minute ago and I'm reading it again. It's not like it's not refreshing my memory. It's just repeating things I already read. Yeah. yeah. The Popeye fantagraphics were like that too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. just so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. So then I, um, those, those paperbacks though were great because they were like the best stories, right? Like prune face and flat top and, and whatever else, the 88 key, all the kind of cl- prune, you know, all the classic stories, right? Mm-hmm. So you, and when you're buying the, the books, so f- the IDW ones, you're starting like at the beginning with like Joe the Tramp, where he's like, <laughs> you know, Dick Tracy's like harassing this poor bum all the time in the first, yeah, he's a criminal, but he's like a bum. He's stealing stuff because it's the depression. You're like, what, is, what did Joe the Tramp do that's so bad? <laughs> I didn't realize he was an ongoing guy, Joe the Tramp. Yeah, because he's like, in the he's in the movie, right? The Tramp is in the movie. He later on like reforms and becomes like a truck driver. And, oh, okay. And, and, and helps out on cases. He help, it doesn't really help out on cases, but I think he ends up with one where he gets mixed up in a case because he, you know, there's corrupt truckers and he gets kind of caught up in this in this web of intrigue. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so you get a lot of like pretty pedestrian stories and then then eventually you get to pear shape or prune face or some one of those kind of more classic storylines you know did you ever buy those fantagraphic popeyes i didn't no because same thing right like i'm not a millionaire (laughs) i have a shelf at home it's actually an old coffee table and i've turned it into a bookshelf partly because i'm a little hoardy (laughs) (laughs) a little a little well if people could see the wasteland of of books and garbage in my upside down office here because it's just been in an uproar after after i got flooded earlier in uh yeah that's why i love coming to your place because it makes me feel like no this is normal it's the other people that are weird but i would sometimes look at it because i've got I've got the six Popeyes on there. Yeah. yeah. So that's, if we're doing the math, that's uh, $180 to $200. Sure, sure. I think. Is that how the math is that, works? Is that all of the Popeyes? They were more than that. No, they only did six of the cigars. Oh, okay. 
And I think he even took, he got sick or something. I think he took a break for a while. It's back weird because the... they, they did it in two different ways, I think, because they did like the big size. Yeah, I think those crazy tall ones. These yeah. are the crazy tall ones. Okay, okay. Oh, and, I didn't realize there were that few of them. Yeah, no, there's only. Now and, I'm more interested. And it's funny because they published them all chronological. They came out every six months or however Fantagraphic did mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. But on one of them, they, they changed the spine like by a noticeable oh. amount oh and, Ouch. Then, and then they went back and oh, so why? it says Popeye but it's like P-O-P-E-Y-E the Y is in the wrong spot and it's just like well that's dumb I should take a picture of it and just send it to you so you know what I'm talking about it's just so, oh, it's so dumb when, you, when you're doing it yeah it's your company yeah yeah maybe yeah. it's worth something but uh, that's up there and there's some of the Floyd well, have you ever films. seen a note that Fanographics would, would send to their printers when they sent stuff to get you can the printers were like were being like urge to make mistakes because they get this insulting note you know pre-accusing them of, of incompetence you know it just seems like what are you asking for <laughs> like you get mad after people make mistakes not before I got, I'm cutting my losses <laughs> I'm going, going for the throat right away because I think in the either the first or second of the Peanuts collection from Fantagraphics, there's, yeah. a, there's a, a double printing. There's a, a strip, and then the strip is there again. Mm. And so they made a big deal about it. It's got like a special page in volume two. <laughs> <laughs> they should have made it so you could cut it out. I, I, I think that they. I <laughs> think that they're. Though. I think they're up up in like the first. The first volumes are like in their fifth or sixth printing now. Yeah, I think I got mostly first editions. Not yeah. that it matters. I don't think anymore. Yeah. It's not like it's a Christmas Carol. <laughs> <laughs> one day one day yeah, might be worth something first edition Fantagraphic Peanuts oh, volume man. 3 boy do I I'm a big fan of the Peanuts but I think I, I successfully got about three of those books and that's where I stopped I think because partly I got one that was slip covered mm-hmm. I got a collection of three that were slip covered and I wanted the rest slip covered <laughs> and that made it hard I already automatically put like a big roadblock in my success of trying to get this done you and I are so similar because I had the opposite thing happen okay. I was getting the single ones yeah. and then I fell behind and I had to get a slip covered double set okay and I was like oh look at this <laughs> mess of a thing totally <laughs> it's awful it's so depressing <laughs> it's like how I feel about my, my little I, can, I wish I could show you my little Abner where they're all packed away now <laughs> and I think oh, it was that one that was probably the first one that I didn't get the first edition on because mm. I waited until the slipcover thing yeah, came yeah, out yeah. for Christmas. Yeah. But uh, what worries me, and... Uh, <laughs> is there a worry? There's a worry because I remember you and I were talking about Peanuts one time. This is years ago, before the Fantagraphic thing. And I had kind of gone off of Peanuts. And I said something anti-Schultz. <laughs> to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not incredibly, but I was... Because yeah. I... Well, this is the story. Hey, it's okay. You can feel you can feel ambivalence to your heroes sometimes. That's that's fair. Of course, but here's the scary thing: is is yeah. that you said, "Oh yeah, but he's the you know he actually wrote and 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 drew and created every one of those." I mean, this is an amazing undertaking. And yeah. So I'm like, "Oh my god, you're totally right." <laughs> and it just made me feel like, "Oh, I'd go meet, I'd go to a meeting, and then I'd end up as a guy carrying a torch in front of a group of people." It's just like, "How did this happen?" You know, Dave said it made sense, so I went out there. I'm so easily. Led astray on these sort of things, and that and that was what this peanuts thing was. So, I had a bunch of peanuts, and I was fond of peanuts in this in the seventies. Sure, sure. And then I, I'm talking to you about it, and I say, yeah, I don't think it's that great anymore, because he got to the stage now where he was only doing like three panels or two panels, yeah, or yeah, they were, yeah. and they were all they're all the same. Yeah, they're all the same punchline. It's just like, I what am I? It... What am I doing here? How many of those can you watch Snoopy look at the audience and say, what's go- I never know what's going on. This I, is a punchline. To be fair to me, I may not have realized. 
you were criticizing the current Schultz. I might have just been defending the the whole oeuvre, not just the not just the most recent. It could have been something you know, like po- that. Post-stroke output, <laughs> which once again, you know, exactly. There's not that many cartoonists oh. who had a stroke and relearned to draw with their other hand exactly and keep well i didn't even know that he did it with the other hand i thought he just did it with the same old hand oh, i don't know maybe maybe what you see yeah, you, you almost had me <laughs> lighting the torch well, ready, ready when when we can travel again it, I, it is my it is my my big hope to to travel down to uh santa rosa and go to the schultz museum yeah, because I feel like it's going to get burned down. <laughs> it's, it's totally going to get burned right down. The, it's right in the fire part of California. It feels like that whole area is just going to one day just be like a smoking cinder. So I, you know, I should. And they already lost know. stuff. What two years ago in the fire? Right? Did their old house burn down? There was oh, a bunch it? of Schultz stuff that was destroyed already. Oh, I didn't know that. And then it was just like. Mrs. Schultz, <laughs> like his, like the drawing board or something was still at the house, and so why didn't you put that in the museum? No, no, I think the drawing board is in the museum. Okay, but well, it was something like that, something or, like or that. a lot of original. Maybe his like spare drawing board, like when he when the mood hit him to draw at home. <laughs> his left-handed drawing board and his right-handed drawing board. Wouldn't that be the greatest thing in the world, though, to like get up in the morning, go for an ice skate, then you walk down the, the hill and you walk into your like office and your the secretary's there and you say good morning to your secretary. Then you go into the office where like all your stuff is set up and you just start drawing. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> You've convinced me. I'm doing it. I'm going to call my boss. So I was talking to my cousin Dave. He's a silver-tongued devil. <laughs> He's got me. He got me convinced. i got to learn to skate. No, it just feels... <laughs> i got to hire a secretary. You, you know how to skate, don't you? I haven't skated in years. Well, it's like bar- bar- riding a bicycle. <laughs> That's how I... It hurts less when you fall off the bicycle if you've been ridden it before. <laughs> But yeah, he had a good thing going on. But so I, uh, because we were talking and then those things came out, I bought all of them. I have all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never looked at them again. <laughs> it is it is an illness. But I I, I, I still want to get them. Like I'm not I'm not done. Like I just you know, I just took a pause on it. You're just the guy that could talk me out of mine. <laughs> Bring them over, Jason. I'll keep them for you. I'll stir them here. So I have my TV downstairs. It's a friend's television. That one that got flooded? Yeah. Uh, my boss that I'm going to, when I quit my job, he, he got flooded uh, about a month ago. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Same kind of a deal. A, a drain backed up outside. Yeah. Like and- a month ago during the big rainstorm that we had, you mean? I think it was either that big rainstorm or the little rainstorm that happened after the big rainstorm. Oh, wow. I can't remember. Let's say it was the big one. You, you'll convince me. <laughs> for, the sake, for the sake of argument. <laughs> but he had one of those houses on the south side of the road, so the garage is actually a little bit lower than the road. Mm. And you get that funny drain that's in front of the garage. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah. And I think that seems to me like the, the worst failed. thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's just when you look at it, this, this is a you know, bad This idea. is not going to work. Like, how can that little drain... Prevent water that's running down a hill rapidly from this leaping over it and going into your... Yeah, I've seen how water works. And the, I know garage doors. They're not entirely waterproof. No. Like, they, they're they are water blocking, but well, they they're not going to... rubber they, lip on the Yeah, they the have bottom. like a rubber lip on the bottom, but it doesn't, it doesn't go all the way around each side. Like, no. it's, it's there to prevent, but it can't, you know, it can't stop entirely. I don't know. It just feels weird to me. But yeah, that was like mine was the same. Like ours was that giant flood, and it, my drain just couldn't handle it. I went and took the in the morning when I had light. I went and took the drain lid off, and it was right to the very top of this big cement tube. Oof. And uh, that's what I said. <laughs> I don't blame you. And I've said oof even worse. Like since I've got my like damage reports, because 
you know, I, I really thought that I'd like saved everything by moving it into different places, but all I did was like move stuff into danger because I didn't know how much it was spreading. Yeah. So I moved things around and then I just put them in other areas where there was water. <laughs> so I didn't help at all. So it was, mis- it was very misleading. It was a very misleading flood. There should be like some sort of warning. Carpet should give you more warning because the carpet looked fine. Yeah, it's not until you walk on it. Yeah, it tells you. I remember a million years ago when Mike was living at uh, a place uh, out in Surrey and it, it was prone to flooding. Okay. And I remember him telling the story where he was he had fallen asleep on the couch, uh, but he was still awake enough to know that as he was going to move, he was aware that the, the remote control was going to fall. Okay. So he was that aware, yeah. but he was still asleep. Sure, sure. And so he felt it go and he heard... <laughs> and he had his eyes closed and he opened them like in a <laughs> cartoon, right? Just yeah, yeah. Sploosh. <laughs> That's not right. Yeah. And yeah, so you looked down and it was actually floating. Oh. He had the. Yeah, a actual like basement. Yeah. To, now ours was in the basement, but it um it didn't flood. I mean, it, maybe it could have got that bad, but I was uh, vacuuming it like a madman. So, so it just. I, I, they said it helped, but I. I didn't prevent everything from getting damaged, you know. Oh. And it's very depressing. Like, you know, it's not like I used my, my laser discs, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, but it was so neat to me that I had, like, some of my favorite Wet Stillman films on Laserdisc and on DVD. Will I ever watch the laser? Well, why would I watch the Laserdisc when I have the DVDs? It's silly. Mm-hmm. But still, it was very pleasing to me. I also had, like, you know, I had my complete Buster Keaton on right. Laserdisc. I had three, bo- three box sets plus the double set of Spite Marriage and the, and the Cameraman the two MGM films together in a, in a collection. And then I also had a hard act to follow the super great documentary about him by the Kevin Brownlow documentary, I believe. And that was great. Right. And now those are all. And did they actually get ruined? I mean, well, the, they, but the, they, they treated like, Oh, you're the packaging got ruined. So it's no good. So now they offered to, to repackage my records and just throw away the packaging and just give me my records back in, in, um, and I might ask them to do that with some of some of the laser discs. I still haven't responded back. I'm so depressed about yeah, the damage. No, I, I just I can't bring bring myself to write and say throw it all away. <laughs> but send me a picture of you smashing each one. <laughs> That's how I feel. Yeah, I want to see the guy. I want to see the boys in the warehouse playing frisbee with them before they go. Well, because I bought a thing that I should actually I should lend I should lend slash give it to you to store because <laughs> it's already got water damage, so you can't. Uh, I, I can't make it any worse. <laughs> you can't make it any worse. Well, thanks for the confidence. <laughs> It's a uh, CD set. Maybe you already have it of uh, Stan Freeberg. Oh, yeah, I've got that one. You have that one? Yeah. So I bought it down at Neptune Records, and I picked it up, and I immediately could smell that it was Mm. moist. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I still bought it. Mm. I have listened to it. It's great. Yeah. It's got a couple of ripples in the little book inside. Sure, sure. But I mean, if that's what happened... It came with a videotape. It came with a videotape too, right? Uh, It's been a while since I looked at it. Yeah, I I seem to recall. Yeah, his head came off, right? It comes out of the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess it. What's on the VHS? Uh, like a collection of some of his ads, his ad work, and stuff like that. I've never watched it because I don't have a VC- VCR. Oh, that's why I haven't watched it. Yeah, <laughs> I have a VCR, but I don't know if you know this about uh, new technology. Mm. Sometimes, yeah, it's not super receptive to old technology. Ah, so you can't hook it up to like the television. Yes, or you can hook it up, but you have to have slightly less old technology that will talk between the two. Okay. And okay. so I was still taping, like when, when Letterman went off the air, whenever that was, which is really long ago now, what, eight years ago, nine years ago? I think that's the last tape that's in my VCR. Okay. And I was still taping then. All right, all right. And then uh, I ended up with a new TV 
And when I got the flat screen, because of the way I, I had a, like an old big deep RCA or whatever the hell it was. Sure, sure. And, uh, and you could hook it up. Remember the way you used to put you had the cable box and the cable box went through the VCR and mm-hmm. then the, through the VCR into the thing. <laughs> and then the way you could watch TV, you could actually tape. Yeah. Well, enough, people don't know this. You could actually tape yeah. a show, but watch a different show yeah. if you knew what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> Yeah. It's great. It's great. But once the, the flat screen came along, the way you had to hook it up, you couldn't. You could only tape what you were watching. Oh, uh, because you weren't using cable box anymore. So that. Yeah. Well, I had the, the cable that... box, but it, there was something about the way it hooked up. Oh, okay. There was something about the way it talked. Mm. Something about the way channel three was set up to do the thing. Anyway. Oh yeah. So that was you had almost had to be there. <laughs> like you had to cut a record <laughs> thing. It was a big pain. Yeah, yeah. And that is, so I have the VCR. I have two VCRs plugged in, flashing. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because the power went out and I haven't reset it because it's behind. <laughs> it's like my fridge <laughs> in the freezer and everything else. <laughs> oh, yeah, the shelf in my room. So I just sometimes I look at the shelf as I'm going to sleep and I just do all the math on it. And if you were to tell somebody <laughs> that this was. Oh, I do that. Not what it was necessarily worth. Yeah, yeah. But what it costs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's a, like a, a $3,000 shelf because <laughs> cause I'm factoring in. The, I have a great book yeah. that I got. Uh, it has <laughs> is it a great book I don't know it every Disneyland postcard okay was reprinted by this Imagineer slash collector and they put out a version of this book and it was popular they put out a second version of the book yeah and then this guy died and this was like 1999 or 98 and so they've done a bazillion postcards since then but this was kind of a neat historic record yeah and so you know that it's worth if you could find the right collector a lot of money sure sure so you can factor that into it now mm-hmm. even though it only cost a hundred dollars at the time yeah it yeah. was still crazy <laughs> <laughs> but you know you look at the shelf like that look at this shelf over here oh you can't even look at shelves if you think of what the you've spent on stuff over the years yeah ugh. You have because you have like the whole another rainbow, uh, Uncle Scrooge collection, right? The Russ Cochran, yeah, 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 which are great, which is a great collection. Like those are the best ever reprinting of any comic book property ever. You think so? Oh yeah. Oh, then I do too. (laughs) (laughs) Where's my torch? Just so you know, everything I say is rhetorical, right? (laughs) Why do you say that? I, I, I'm going to agree with you, but I haven't looked at a bunch of other reprints. But why do you say that? Well, I have the I don't I have some of those other other another, another rainbow, but I also have the EC ones that he did, and I have some of the little Lulu ones that he did. What I love about them is that they're a faithful reproduction of the actual thing. Like it ha- it's, besides the ads, it reproduces every part of the comic. It has the little introductory thing, like especially the EC ones where it has like about has these little about the artists. Mm-hmm. So it tells you about Jack Davis and Wally Wood and, and Wally Severin and all those people. And then also, or Jack Severin, I should say, and it had all the, um, the, it has all the, um, text reprints as well. Cause in those days, you couldn't sell comics without a text portion. Otherwise, uh, there's some law in, in for the mail, for the mail service. Is that, that why Walt Disney's comics and stories always had that one yeah. page thing yeah. in there? Oh, okay. Yeah. And the little Lulu had this great diary from little Lulu told in the most ironic way because you got her viewpoint of some catastrophe that, and you can understand how the ad- adult felt about it, but you're getting it all from her point of view, oh, right? Okay, that's clever. And it's really great. Yep. And, and yeah, and those are all reprinted. Plus, I prefer, frankly, I prefer the black and white photostats of the original pages to these kind of uh, photographs of the comic book pages with mm. color, 
Have they recolored in some of the reprints as well, as opposed to even well, just the newer EC ones? They don't recolor them; they just t- they photograph the pages, right, and reprint them that way. And so you get the color pages, but you're not getting that crisp line art because you're getting this, you know, because they they were printed on crap. <laughs> yes, those books were printed on garbage, right? So yeah. <laughs> it's the worst paper you could possibly print on. It's hardly paper; <laughs> it's like, like old leaves. It was worse than a napkin, and that's what they're printing on. Yes, and so now they're taking a picture of it and putting it into a really expensive color hardcover book and then charging you $70 for it. Yeah. And you're like, well, this is not worth it. Like, you know, those, those, uh, the Cochrane collections and stuff were expensive. You know, they did cost like $125, but you're getting like four or five books in those slipcover. Yeah. I think there were three in each of them. Yeah. The three, some, some, it depends on which collection. Oh, I see. Uh, the Karl Barks library. Was yeah. Three, 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 three. Yeah, yeah. Because that worked, that worked mathematically. Whereas like the EC ones, they, they, you know, they tended to put all of like the shock suspense stories into one collection. Right. And so that might take up five volumes. It just depended on the, on the, on like Mad is two volumes, the, the Mad comic book versions. The, the, oh, okay. The Crispin ones yep. were two and, and stuff like that. I don't have those ones. Those ones were printed in color though. The Crispin ones were, were printed in color, but not, but once again, they, they recolored from the original photostats. So it's a crisp line with, with new colors. Right. Based on the old colors, which are pretty easy to reproduce because they're just they're just the old, what do we call it, four-color or whatever comics, right? Yeah, the right. They, they're not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's not shading and all of the stuff. I remember <laughs> when they redid the uh, Uncle Scrooge. Was it only Scrooge and Donald? Or was it just Scrooge? I think it was my Scrooge. It was like the Life and Times before the Life and Times, okay. but I think it was called the Life and Times. This is about 1988. Yeah. There was a hardcover that came out and then a big paperback. Sure. And those had been recolored, but like stars were drawn into the night sky on one of those money bin splashes and yeah. stuff. And at the time, I thought, "Oh, this is so cool! This is this is a Beatles remix, right? <laughs> it's the same artwork, but it's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, also new." Yeah. And so I think that was cool. But uh, uh, in now, the Carl Barks, the reprint has a little a little story about the story, usually too, mm-hmm. plus lots of background on Carl Barks. Yeah, that's the other thing too. Yeah. You get that, and then they're also bigger. They're bigger than a normal comics page. So yeah. The, the newer reprints tend to reproduce it at actually size a comic book I, in fact i think they got criticized fantagraphic because i think they're a, a hair smaller okay, even yeah, than yeah. what the comic book size Bluff. was that's even worse right <laughs> yeah whereas the rest cockney you get these big you know giant like you know obviously not as full size as the art because the art would have been really big but it's just a great reproduction admittedly there are some stories i remember there's one i think it was drawn by alex toth and it's like a jet fight over korea that's in two-fisted tales <laughs> And you know it's Alex Toss, so it's very plain art. Like he he was mis- he was like he was influenced by Kenneth and and uh, people that influenced Kenneth. There's a, another guy from that time period who did I think Scorchy Smith or something like that. Mm, okay, I um, can't remember his name, but he they um it was very influenced by that. And so it's it's when you're reading the in like the black and white version, it's like so plain. It's just like two lines going across the page and stuff like that. Like there's nothing, right? Uh, but because the real effect of it was the color that Marie Severin did at that time. But you don't get that effect <laughs> in this. But you know, I'm willing to like trade off that for for the for the the majority of this great art photostatted from the original pages because Gaines had all those pages still. Wow. Right. Yeah. So like he like, he owned the art. And I know that the artists hated that, but in a, in a way, it was to their benefit because all of their artwork was extant. Like, it was still, it wasn't sold off. Like, it, Gaines didn't sell it off for his a profit. He just kept it because he was a hoarder. <laughs> and I'm all for hoarding. I'm all for hoarding. I love hoarding. You, know, you say you're a hoarder, I'm, all for, I'm on your side. <laughs> I think Don Rosa has stuff like that, too. He did some live uh, YouTube stuff over the last pandemic kind of thing mm. that I discovered. And I like was a like tour a, of his house. 
Yes, that sort of stuff. Have, have you seen that yeah, on there? Tour of his mess. <laughs> I would call it. But you know, I'm not a hoarder like he is. So yeah, holy yeah. cow! I was. There was a YouTube. This is a while while back because I I was at, still working at Sunburst when I my old job when I saw it. But there was like a yeah YouTube video tour, a three part YouTube video tour of his house that sorted up sort of his drawing area, and then you kind of wound your way down while the cameraman kept knocking things over. I, I assume. <laughs> As they tried to get through this house. <laughs> Poor guys. Maze of belongings. <laughs> of, you know, just all these figurines every which way and everywhere. And then you go down to the basement. And then he has all his long boxes of uh, all these classic comics down there. That's know. right. Yes, he had that big vault. And he was sort of the... I think I was actually put off a little bit. Because he was kind of dismissive of the whole thing. He was just like, I don't know why you want to see this. And I don't know. This is weird. And he's kind of like, I like all this stuff. But I don't know. <laughs> I, I, think he's, I think he's a little bitter. He could be. He could I think be he's a little, little bitter. bitter. I think. I think his relationship with Walt Disney didn't end well, mm-hmm. and he didn't have like a nice kind of like old man send off the way that Carl Barks got. You know, where they kind of looked askance while he askance. That's right. They kind of looked away while he he did full full color paintings of all these copyrighted characters and didn't pay them for the use of these characters. He just sold them as paintings to, to right. fans. And uh, and Disney was just kind of like, "You served your time. It's fine. <laughs> you do that." You do that thing, but I, but I guess, um, yeah. With um, Don Rosa, they shut down the comics line and and you know and kind of cut cut him off at the knees in terms of you know him being able to sell stuff. I guess there's still European things, but those are probably a lot of mostly reprints as well. So. Yeah, I think so. Because and then his eyes went right. And his, oh, is that right? Yeah, he ended up with either cataracts or some other weird other thing went wrong. Because cataracts you should be able to fix, but something he had some buggered eye system. Now, I know you're going to be mad at me when I tell you this, but I am not the world's biggest fan of Carl Barks. Mm-hmm. What? I'm the only reason I like Carl Barks is you told me to like Carl Barks. I got all this shit in my house. <laughs> Passing comment 40 years ago, and I apologize for it oh now. Oh, my God. A teenager. I just... my, whole, my whole life is a sham because of you. <laughs> and I don't know if I explained this. I was talking about Carl Barks shampoo. Oh. Not the artwork. But At least you that, weren't talking about Karl Marx and trying to convert me to some right. r- radical worker's belief system. That's right. I just had a bad speech impediment at the time. I was like, I remember. Did you remember Karl Marx? You were the workers' manifesto. <laughs> crackers. Your mouth was full of crackers, as I recall. You were a Karl Marx. Oh yeah, sure. The duck guy. Okay. I will spend all my money on. Well, you were you were a fan of Karl Marx before I even knew who he was. Probably. Oh, maybe. I didn't know who he was either, but I liked his stories the best. Mm-hmm. That's how I discovered him. And then I knew that you liked him a lot, because, and then I, I you know, I, I kind of read a few books, and I thought they were okay. But I, yeah, I thought they were okay. They, uh, they. I do. I liked Don Rosa even less, and I always wondered why <laughs> until I saw an interview with him, and he talked about how he had been an engineer, mm-hmm. and I realized, oh yeah, his drawings are very mechanical feeling to me. And they're not as lively as Barks, I always feel. Well, what he then reveals in the other stuff is that he, when he was first starting as, because he's like a fan artist that became the artist, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just had a, a catalog of, I want Angry Uncle Scrooge, and he would just copy. <laughs> like in the same story, you can see like different phases of Scrooge and Donald in yeah. his things, because he's like, oh, this is 1966. I know this pose. <laughs> I've seen this pose yeah, that yeah. Carl Barks drew. Yeah, yeah. And then you see, uh, that's the same pose, and they're in the same universe because of the of the panel that they're in and just like mm. oh that's a cheat that feels kind of dishonest yeah. yeah yeah i mean that was happening at marvel at the time because when kirby left everyone was instructed to draw like kirby so they would just 
go through and just just <laughs> take his drawings and trace them into, into new. Yeah, 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 I can see that. Change the co- change the costume or whatever, different character, but just you reuse poses and things. And that's not uncommon, but it does feel it does feel kind of. In fact, that used to be the comics journal's big thing was to like shoot down cartoonists that were like copycats. Like I remember, like Keith Giffen got in trouble for copying weirdly copying Jose Munez and with Sampoyo, whatever the guys who did Sinner. I can't remember their names now. Mm, Munez and Sampoyo. They did this very, once again, kind of that chiaroscuro, very just black and white, no... And then he incorporated into, of all things, Ambush Bug and started drawing that style in like his superhero comics. But uh, the comics journal were right on the case to mm. point fingers. There's a few people they, they outed over the years. <laughs> so you thought that Don Rosas was too... Uh much of that or or what was bothering you about his story? I feel too it's too stiff to me okay and maybe that's why because he's just copying yeah you know whereas Barks is drawing in the moment Rosa was just taking that moment and re- reproducing it yeah with, without it being really organic to the to the story there is a certain life to some of those Carl Barks ones I know for because I I think that was one of the things that kind of tickled me as a kid although I don't know why mm-hmm. but was the fact that the, hardly anybody ever smiles <laughs> Carl Barks, everybody's angry and shouting, <laughs> kicking each other. There's always fighting. Everybody's frowning with a wonderful duck brow down. That's so great to draw. You, yeah, yeah. Like That's just how you liked it. Uh, you dig it in there. Just uh, <laughs> angry. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was very, very uh, uh, natural <laughs> in that. But there is a certain line to it as well. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I just I've never I've never been the biggest fan. Like I, you know, I'm I'm like uh, for like adventure stuff. Like I, to me, like Tintin is like the the ultimate of like adventure storytelling. You know. Yeah, and I think that's I think Barks led me into Tintin stuff. Mm, yeah. Okay, I think you're right. I and I went from the other way. I like discovered Tintin first, and then because you know you, I think I discovered Asterix first at the library, and then I and then I was in the same general area of the library and, and discovered Tintin. I think we've talked about Asterix before. When I would go to the library and I would get the Asterix book out because it looked so great yeah. and it was not in English. It would be the French version of it. Oh, or okay. Or some, or some yeah, other. Yeah. But I would take it home anyway. Yeah, yeah. And just look at it. Because it's so wonderfully drawn. It's so wonderful. But I would always be frustrated. And yeah. I would, my mom would be, why are you taking that <laughs> book out? You can't read any of this. I don't know. I think I did the same with Tintin books. I'd get a Tintin book out it was French, and I was like, oh, I, wish I, could, wish I could read this. I wish I knew more about Uderzo, because, you know, like, there's just no way that he didn't have he didn't have assistants. Yeah, like a huge staff. Yeah, you'd think, you'd think so, because Hergé did. Like, I mean, he didn't have a huge staff, but he had, like, a group of people that wrote with him, and then he had a group of people who were, like, sort of the technical artists. You know, their mm. job was to do backgrounds or cars and... And, and then they had colorists and people like that, you know. That's why Charles M. Schultz is so amazing. He did it all himself. You should actually buy everything, everything. Else. I did not say that. I merely <laughs> defended him to you while we were standing in a kitchen at a Boxing Day party. I think Carl Barks made his wife draw stuff. I think you're right. I like coins. Like he's fill this with coins. <laughs> I've, I've created a whole splash panel. It's interesting with coins. Could you fill out every coin, love, and make me a sandwich too? Um, you just, good? I'm just hearing like a bumping noise, so I'm just trying to move away from. Uh, Peo's wife, uh, Nina Culliford, she uh, she was a colorist on the early early stuff that he did, like on his um, his. Um, let, me, let me turn my head for a second. Johan and Pierre Louis stories and his strumps and stuff like that. Those those were early ones were colored by her until she, I guess, had kids and then other people came in. And but he always he was also a person who had like a always had like a staff of people that he worked with. But his thing wasn't 
that he needed people to draw what he was doing. He would do his own stuff, but mm. he, he couldn't he couldn't stop creating new characters. Oh, <laughs> so you know he'd be like, oh, it'd be funny to have a character who was really strong, except when he had a cold. So that became Benoit Brissifay, you know. But he was already doing Johann Pierre Louis and and the and the Smurfs and doing all the cartoon and the marketing and all that stuff like that. So he's like, well, here, uh, you know, Walter, you do this one you know and then how about jackie and celestin like these two kid detectives we'll do a, one about them here you guys you take over in that yeah, one for I me <laughs> and he would just kind of keep doing that over you know so he had because he had quite a few different strips that he did because he you know i think he maybe didn't feel comfortable like he would never wouldn't be successful forever with something got to keep your irons in the fire but he had like a lot of people but also you know everyone who worked for him i think that's the same with Tintin or with erge to a point like a lot of the people he worked with went on to like have their own strips and create their own careers. in that style. I'm trying to think of there's a, there's a Not similar really. Oh, okay, they kind of did their own thing, but there's one guy that went on Goss who went on to do Gra- the Scrumustache, this sort of alien character, very different from um, very different from from uh, what Peo did. And same with Waltery, he went on to do like kind of good girl art. Uh, this character called <laughs> Natasha. Sorry, I gotta look at my collection here. It's handy. Better <laughs> than an iPhone. It's a shelf me. full of stuff. <laughs> Very handy having my French books out here. And See, then, you've got Les Strumpfs. You've, those yeah. are those are not in English. Those books. No, those aren't in English. No, I've got four four volumes. The fourth one is in the house. Oops, hitting stuff with my glasses now. Um, yeah, I've got the Strumpfs. I've got all of the Benoit. I have the Benoit Brissifay inside. I've got the Johann Pierre Louis out here in the shop. Um, yeah, I love I love Pe- I love Peo. I think he's uh, fantastic. I also have all of um, Frank Hans, Spiro, and Fantasio as well. I think those are really great. And I have a bunch of Gaston the Gaff here. Well, I'm not buying any of this. <laughs> if that's what you're trying, you should to. start collecting them. Is what I'm saying to you. <laughs> no, I'm. I got my arms folded. I'm not listening. I'm not interested. The problem with collecting these is if you want the the if you want the, these ones, like, yeah. like some of them uh, Amazon carried, and I was able to get them through Amazon. But a lot of them I've had to order f- through Amazon France. Oh, okay. And so they're reasonably priced, reasonably priced. But it's the 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 freight that kills you. Mm, it really, yeah, right. It really yes. comes down on you. But what's great about these books? Let me uh, let me open it up for uh, for Jason. I know you. Uh, no one can see this. Somebody could see it if someone was listening and also looking over your fence at the same time. <laughs> That's right. So so they have like the the book, but they also have like. Like tons of of preliminary art oh, yeah. and black and white stuff and covers. These are these are the early ones, so they're kind of clumsily drawn, in my opinion, but they're still it's still entertaining. But yeah, just like a long bunch of of you know, it's, to me, it's totally worth it for for the historical element of it as well as nice, nicey nice. Yeah, I'm not gonna buy them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't think you should. <laughs> no, it's just uh, I just became fascinated with the style, and I just I started to uh, to read them, and yeah, because Tintin RJ uh, also like so um, the guy who went on to do um, e- uh, I'm just gonna look here, E.P. Jacobs. <laughs> he went on to he he was a writer artist for for RJ. He came on during the newspaper strip days. Okay, it was his job to take the newspaper strips and convert them into uh, stuff that could be used for the vault for the albums. Oh, okay. Because newspaper strips were at totally the wrong. The wrong um, ratio or whatever. Aspect ratio. Aspect ratio. I don't yeah. know if that's the right term. <laughs> I don't know either. Good. I'm but looking the... over my shoulder for confirmation <laughs> from the neighbor over the fence. He's nodding. <laughs> Good job. Uh, yeah, he's one. There's a guy named um, Laloup, Roger Laloup, who went on to do uh, Yoko Tsuno, this kind of science fiction story about a Japanese girl. Um, okay. And it's totally, totally not drawn like Hergé. Not, oh. Same with Jacobs as well. Like, in no way would you think, oh, that's influenced by Hergé. Unlike someone like 
um, Bob, what's his face? <laughs> oh, he's great. <laughs> that guy who really like carried on like an Hergé style after he left. Oh, okay. After he, you know, he still still doing it. In fact, a lot of people wanted him to finish Lelf Art for for for, but his style was close to Hergé's, but it wasn't as good as Hergé's. So it's you know, if if people are curious about this, listen to Totally Tintin. We talk all about it, especially as we get to the later books where Hergé had less to do with the artwork. Hmm. And the art does the art, art does kind of go down down. I should listen to that. I don't know why I never listened to the Totally Tintins. You should listen to it. I think you'd I enjoy should. it. <laughs> I'm going to buy... Can I buy them? <laughs> can buy a whole collection. I have some right here for you. <laughs> so that's funny. So now, you ha- you had you celebrated Christmas this year. I, I did see. celebrate Christmas this year, I oh, guess. But did you celebrate Boxing Day this year? This is it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, no, there was no major... Nothing warranted... Yeah. Calling it Boxing Day. It's all over with now. Yeah. Like, I'm going to talk for myself here. You don't have to agree with me. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try not to. But for a large part of my life, mm-hmm. I think until we started talking, because we didn't really talk very much when we were, when you were younger. You no, were, because I was so easily led. You, I didn't want to <laughs> harm you. I almost drowned. But, you know, we're, we're about four years apart, I think. Yep, I'm 69 years old oh so i'm 66 so we're pretty close but you always seem much younger than me when i was a teenager right because i'm silly because <laughs> you're silly and very easily led <laughs> i was doing silly things you're being led by my brothers and that was unforgivable <laughs> and so yeah and so it wasn't until we were a little older than, than i that i kind of met you mm-hmm. yes for the first time and went oh this guy's really funny and, and smart this is fun but when I was a kid, I was just like, ugh, no one to talk to. <laughs> Everyone's so small. Like, you know, we, there were, I guess Russell was the closest to me in age. We were very, we were pretty much the same age. Yeah. So then my myself. brother was like uh, three years older than you. So again, yeah. there's maybe even that difference. He might've thought like, oh my God, I can't talk to this little kid. <laughs> <laughs> when I, when I got older, your brother, got, he would talk to me more. But yeah, when, when I was younger, yeah, no, it was just like, why? Like, why? This invader. <laughs> Strangers. I was three years by myself here. I didn't need this jerk to show up. <laughs> And yeah, so I just found them. I found them like just unbearable. The Boxing Day celebrations. Boxing Day celebrations. Well, yeah. I liked them because of uh, the you get gifts, and I'm at heart a greedy, greedy child, <laughs> and still a greedy, greedy adult. Yeah, but I've yeah. mastered it more. But there was something great about the whole Christmas season, and just like we get a bonus day. <laughs> Holy cow! Does anybody else know about this thing? But, but we, you, you, we, we had to stop at some point. We didn't get them after a certain age. Yeah, that's when I didn't like them. Anymore. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like, <laughs> sure, when I was a kid, and I get, you know, I would often get books because I was a well-known bookworm mm-hmm. in the family. So I'd often be given like book collections and stuff like things you get at Cole's Books. Yes, you know, like a a slip-covered collection of the James Harriet novels, or you know, five five Agatha Christie novels, perfect for a kid in grade nine. <laughs> I think I got a, a slip-covered set of uh, the great the great brain. Oh, that's a good one. One of those. I like deal. that. Great brain's yeah. great. Yeah, stuff like that. And I enjoyed yeah. getting those because often I feel like my aunts and uncles either used or had some good taste or asked someone in the store and said, "What can I get a smart-ass grade eight kid, <laughs> a problem child who likes to read, <laughs> doesn't like to talk very much to his aunts and uncles? I, there's one that's easily led and very very silly." <laughs> What does he need? <laughs> so yeah, uh, but because uh, uh, on, on Christmas Day, I remember, <laughs> I remember this is a strange thing too, and we might have covered this. We, I apologize to your listeners that oh, have to listen we, to it. You know same... what? We have a complete turnover. There's no listeners who are <laughs> listening at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the uh, the uh, 
I was probably talking to it was either probably probably Tara, probably our cousin Tara, sure, on Boxing Day. Yeah, and I had said to her, "What did you guys do yesterday?" And she said, "Oh, we went over to our cousin's place." And I remember thinking, like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> but we did that too. Yeah, and I spent the day before with my cousin. Yeah. But, but I felt like I was like the only one that had cousins, had, had extra cousins. Yeah, you, you, you guys, guys don't have cousins. No, yeah. this is this is all you have. This is this cousins. The fact that your that your mother would have siblings was not even not no, that's not what happens. And I wonder I wonder <laughs> how it was agreed to like were all our dads like so weak that they just like caved into the to their wives' demands that the Christmas be their day, like their family day? Yeah, and, I don't know. And they're yeah. like, You can have the boxing day. We'll do it on yeah, we'll do it the day after We'll do it the day you. after Christmas for you guys. We'll we'll have the important day because we it was always well, maybe. My mom's family's day was Christmas Day. Well, then the punishment was that on Boxing Day, all of the husbands left all of the wives <laughs> in the other room. And all, <laughs> gathered and all, in the kitchen. Gathered in the kitchen and, and ignored them and, for five hours. And punished them further by singing in there. <laughs> yeah. So what goes around goes around, <laughs> I <guess> so. ladies. <laughs> thought, you, thought you got one over them, didn't you? You didn't know they, you'd never see them again. Yeah. That's right. Don't go in there, guys. Real hen party. <laughs> They'd all you be like I mean? knitting. My mom would bring knitting, and maybe did your mom knit as well? Or no, no, she never did knit. No, she just would have been drinking her one glass of tea and Marie. <laughs> so yeah, that was the Boxing Day celebrations for yep. that I remembered, and and they became uh, well. At some point, mom stopped going because she, it was too much for her health at the time. Yeah, and so. And then it was just the dad doubled down on it. And then I would come out, or maybe I'd come in my own car and leave early. Eh, I don't know. I don't really remember even now how it finally sort of petered out. But no, you and I are the last vestiges of... <laughs> the last vestiges of the Bucks Day. <laughs> Same day thing. Well, I think, yeah, I think it's a different... Like, partly it's uh, culture, because we had two different generations of cousins, too. Because mm-hmm. the family had two different generations of, of kids. So there's your dad, my dad... And then anti-pat, anti... Pat, anti uh... Inflammatory. <laughs> Anti-histamine. <laughs> That's right. Oh, it's so embarrassing. I can't remember any of my aunt now. Um, which one? Barbara? <laughs> Barbara, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Barbara. Anti-Barbara. Those are like... Well, I guess Annie Pat wasn't part of that either. She was younger, too. Yeah. Kenny and Jerry yeah. and... and... Anti-Barbara were the young... Or, sorry, Annie Pat were the young... Were the youngest. And then, yeah. And there was like a big gap between them. There was like... I think it was what's called the sanitarium gap. <laughs> yes. The time Grandpa was locked up... Yeah. ...is the he... gap, the <laughs> five-year gap in the family history of Out of circulation. Kids. Out of circulation. Well. Out of the bed. And, uh, yeah, not... Insisting, although a proud Protestant did not believe in birth control. Well, well, you know, odd it's, enough. Uh, but anyhow, so yeah, so we had those the two, method. <laughs> this two different that gap, that age gap there. Yeah, you know that, like, you know, your, my my dad and your dad were like fifties kids, and then uh, Uncle Kenny was like a hippie. Yeah, you know, he listened to records that I liked when I was a teenager. That yeah, because I think I think that's why Mum and Dad didn't have Rob for like. Uh, eight years, I think they were married before they had a kid, because they just came out of a house that was full of little brothers and sisters. <laughs> Uncle Bill on my mom's side okay. and, and Uncle Kenny were probably like seven when mom yeah. and dad got married. Yeah, just yeah. like, Fuck, we don't want any kids. You crazy? <laughs> Time to live, man! And they made it felt a bit unsettled because he got transferred to Montreal, right? Yeah, but that was until 60... Four. Oh, okay, okay. So after Rob was born and oh, lived wow, in Vancouver okay. for two years before they moved to Montreal. Oh, I see. Okay, wow. So 
Yeah, yeah. No, I totally could be part of it because it just seemed. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it was for sure because Dad <laughs> always loved telling the story several times <laughs> that they didn't want to have a kid because right, of well, the kids that were around. Makes sense. And yeah, so so yeah, so there was that weird. So there was our group of cousins that went went through the whole thing, mm-hmm. and then when we were like teenagers, there was this other group of like little kids on their foot. <laughs> yeah, You're like, and they all wanted to like ride your back and get carried around, and oh, you had to do all so much work with them. It was so <laughs> much work. Yeah, and we had the pool in the backyard, and so we had all the little cousins visiting. I think I taught many of of my of my cousins how to swim oh, maybe never taught me how to swim well no so you're, here you're, I am, you're completely, completely useless in the you're water three years, you wouldn't have listened to me <laughs> but they were like so little i could kick like, your legs child kick your legs <laughs> i could like you know hold them up in the in the water and yes and hold you know swirl them around what year did you guys them. move out of that delta house 92 delta house remember you guys were that's right we're in delta house <laughs> right across the street from alpha game and kappa i don't know what the other house was where niedermeyer was <laughs> That's right. Oh, the times he spent on double secret probation in that house. <laughs> man, a oh man. You know, it's funny though. Is uh, I'm t- mentioning the show, but I'll mention it to you if, in case I haven't. The, a lady, a lady in my choir, her friend bought that house for my mom and dad. Oh, and so their family lived there after we did. And she found it fascinating that we, you know, a all the holes in the walls from from our, the kids trying to fight each other. Right. But like the doors, doors and stuff like that. There's a lot of doors that got punched and kicked. Because they got slammed in someone's face, and then you know the only response was to smash door. <laughs> That's right, smash door. <laughs> That's <a> logical thing. <laughs> Close a door in my face. I will you. smash a door. <laughs> Are you going to come in through the door? No, I'm just going to smash it. That's all. <laughs> Leave a great big mark for Dad to find. <laughs> Poor Dad. God, the bathroom door got like knocked off its hinges one time, and it was my dad having to like put dowels into these poles <laughs> and fill it in so you could screw it back into place. And the door never works properly. Never properly. Again. You can't hang a door. Yep. Save your life. That's yep. why it's specialist real, real estate agent, don't close any doors. <laughs> oh, really? Because that's when you find <laughs> out that they're... <laughs> <laughs> doesn't quite close all the way. No, I'm just joking. But yeah, so yeah, so she, she moved in after us. And so she could see all the detritus from our family, like the, you know, the, the measurings for as we grew up. And, yes, because, you know, yeah, and our, on the wall. And our names. We, we, had a, we had a clubhouse in the crawl space. Hmm. And so we had a lot of stuff down there that probably, and a lot of things scrawled around on the, the walls. And they're placed in the floor where my brother and his friend decided they were going to dig a, uh, a tunnel across from house to house. <laughs> and they marked the spot on the floor. And they actually started digging in the next door house. Oh, yeah. They dug out the concrete. Right. They took out the concrete and started digging down. It wasn't until <laughs> one, of the, one of the parents noticed, well, where is this dirt coming from? Started investigating. <laughs> I was digging a hole for it. <laughs> you know, the Dedrick house. That's <laughs> what so your house needs. We can get with Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> do it when the parents ding, aren't home. That's like the great escape, you know, put it in your cuff and you get out, pull a string and it drops down into the, as you walk around the, walk around the exercise yard. <laughs> Never been. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we moved out in 92. 92. Okay. And that was the, the last of the pool, unfortunately. Never, never. My mom always goes, shouldn't have moved out of that house. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And why did they? I think they just wanted to cash cash in on the, you know, they could sell high, but by somewhat lower, farther out into the I valley. I guess that would have been the case, because now it's uh, everything is ridiculous. If anybody knows the Vancouver <laughs> real estate yeah, prices, yeah. it's yeah. just dumb. <laughs> if you live here now, you can you can't leave. No, you can't leave. There's no way you'll ever get back. No. Well, I mean, I would because I bought at the right time. 
I bought. But if you were to sell now and then go to Saskatchewan for three years and say, let's move back, you, you could not. Oh, no, no. Yeah, you couldn't come back again. <laughs> and you'd need to realize your mistake. You'd be like, oh, let's leave this beautiful, mild, mostly mild. I mean, right now we're in a bit of a snowstorm, but mostly mild, uh, temperatured place, you know, this mild climate. And then we'll go out to... Uh, we we'll go to Saskatchewan, and then you get out there, and you're like, "What the fuck? <laughs> what was I thinking?" What? There's no ocean here. There's no like giant, giant heat sink that like keeps this place nice and mild. No, nothing. So then you uh, you try to move back again, and yeah, you're right. You just yeah. how doesn't the cusp sound? It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the cusp of nowhere. In the cusp of nowhere. <clears throat> the girls have talked about moving out to like to the Okanagan and stuff, but. You know, it's like no different anywhere these places now. And no, what's now. making it even worse is like remote work. Because mm-hmm. no, you don't, you're not tied to a place. So you can like, you can go and wreck anywhere. <laughs> yes. You can take all your, your gold and go wreck the puka shell economy of any place in, in British Columbia. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter, you know. And now with the new uh, climate stuff, it's going to burn regardless of where, <laughs> where, where, you, where you go. That's right. And then after it burns, it's going to wash away when yeah. the rain comes. Yes, so, yes. we're like uh, catching up with Southern California <laughs> by leaps and bounds. <laughs> you talk to someone on the island, they're just like, yeah, well, the island doesn't seem to have any problems. You wait. You yeah. wait, yeah. island. I know. <laughs> I was there a little while ago, and it was just like, so it was like such a blast from the past. I was like in a record store mm. that sold like new and used record, like CDs and records and stuff. And you're like, this can't exist anywhere else, but in a place that, that has like no rent. Yeah, that's how these things work. Isn't this great? I say, oh well. <laughs> to try to do it in Pacific Center, <laughs> it <doesn't> work. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, what? you're not making five thousand dollars a month. How can you pay your rent? I, I run a, I run a rubber stamp store. Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> rubber stamp store. There used to be a rubber stamp store downtown, which is, always blows my mind to this day. On um, Richards. Yeah, I remember Richards, seeing the sign for it. It's kind of a, yeah, but like sort of in the AMB sound block. If you walked over the BC Stampworks, was the name of the place. And right. I went. It was the sign still up. I walked by it uh, last year, I think. We were downtown, and I, I went. Oh, it's still here. And I went and looked inside, and no, it wasn't still here. <laughs> yeah, it's not here. Just the building. Just the name of the the original shop was there, and not the. It made me sad. I got a book for Christmas about uh, Reed's Meats that was in that block, or maybe the block up. It used to be across from where London Drugs was on on Granville there. Okay, okay. The old location that was down the hill from where they moved into the mm-hmm. old Burks. They moved into Burks, that's right, yeah. The old Duthy Books, the old... <laughs> I can't remember anymore. But they were used to be further down. Yeah. And uh, mom and dad would go to Reed's Meats. It was an old butcher shop that had been in Vancouver at this location since... I was just reading it. I don't know, 1916, did they move into this location? Wow. And they, the family ran it, and they, they did some renovations. They had a curing place in the basement, and they mm. had a bakery upstairs, and sausage making this, and the whole thing was done there. And then Pacific Center said, we're going to expand north. You guys want to be in the mall? And they said, no, we're a butcher shop. Yeah. They said, yeah. well, you could sell your stuff here. He said, we'd have to make it out in Port Moody and then truck it in, and yeah, that's yeah. not what it is. And yeah. so it just went away at this old family business yeah, yeah, in 86. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. It's, well, you know, the, I mean, we were just talking about because the uh, Granville, the um, Movie Land Arcade just closed down on oh, Granville Street. right. That was just south of the Capital Six, kind of? That's right. Yeah. That's right. I've been there forever and ever, and it seemed like an impossible place to still exist you know, and it feels just like one of those sort of places where it was owned by the family, and they're just like, well, we've always had it here. 
what's the point of what's the point of developing this land? Is it on the same side? Is it in the like the Commodore building? Is it underneath the Commodore? Is that where it is? No, you're thinking of the uh, Commodore Lanes. That was a bowling alley that's underneath the Commodore. Right. It's uh, about another block or two down. Oh, okay. Towards, towards Granville the, Bridge. This is a, in the, like the Roxy block. Past there, the, yeah. Past the, there. The Vogue. Another, another block down. And oh, okay. Yeah. Yep, yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. Same side of the road, though, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, when the days when there was like t-shirt, you know, rock t-shirt store and a poster place. And... Again, another viable business that now is... <laughs> you can do that. On a street like that, where even the places that are there now are barely hanging on. Yes. And they're designed to be there, you know, clubs and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> this is crazy. It's just, it's just weird. This, there's obviously like a perfect time in a city's existence, and eventually it, 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 it peaks, and then it's no good after that. Mm-hmm. You know, and you could you can expand. I guess like London would be an example of a, like a city that, you know, like whatever is interesting about the city center is probably not that interesting anymore. But it's moved into the outer boroughs of London, mm-hmm. so you have that's where you can maybe find some interesting bookstores or, or record stores or whatever. But and but the problem with Vancouver is that the the, pri- the prices of are so crazy everywhere. Like there's no, you don't go. Oh, Vancouver's crazy, but at least you can live in Surrey. Yeah. No, no, you can't live there either. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> so yeah. none of those places can have like a used bookstore or you know these kind of like fringe places that you know. And maybe maybe you don't need them anymore. I don't know. I guess. Well, the other funny thing is that you go to the used bookstore now, and whereas they used to have neat stuff that you wanted, they have what you're getting rid of. This <laughs> the stuff that you've already. I don't need any of this. <laughs> Raise the Titanic as a Clive Custler you're, novels? You're right. You're right. You're so right. It's just so funny. Wow. Like, they just don't need... Yeah. I, I mean, I can easily not buy records anymore. Yeah. You know, like, sad, I used to love, to love to go and buy records. There's a place yeah. in Cloverdale that I keep seeing, it, and he won an award, a Bestie or a Daily or a Clovey <laughs> or whatever the hell they give out in sure. Cloverdale. The Daily. And, uh, Did you say the Daily? I'm sorry if I copied you it's about yeah i think i did it was john daly pro golfer <laughs> loves cloverdale <laughs> ever since the old uh canada open or whatever that thing was called um anyway he just won an award he has he has a record shop and so he's making it work for whatever he's making it work, yeah 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 i've never been in it and i'm interested <laughs> and it's been there for two years well yeah i mean my problem with records is that they're a boutique item now they're not a they're not a general interest item. Yeah, I see what you say. So like, they're like thirty, forty dollars for a record. Yeah, yeah, that's how he's making it. He's like, he's like gouging people. <laughs> and he's not. It's not him who's gouging. I mean, it's the whole the whole industry is a big gouge. So yes. kind of like CDs were a big gouge. And why why did CDs go away? Well, because everyone knew that they were paying way too much for what they were getting. Yeah, even when they started to pad it. It was just like, well, now that's worse. It's <laughs> longer. Right. It's longer that's and right. worse. That's and right. more Money. That's right. Yeah, you. We somehow stumbled upon like the perfect length to listen to something, which is around forty-five minutes. Yeah, that's that's as interesting as something as, as rock music can get. Yeah, it's only forty-five minutes that's of interest. All you got. That's all you're gonna get. Yeah, and so then and you break it into two sides, so you <laughs> slightly lessen the impact of that full full. You know, let's not even say forty-five. It's probably closer to. 40 minutes yeah almost. it's like 20 and 20 or 22 and yeah, 22 kind yeah, of thing. Something yeah. Like that. and then and this is perfect and then they invented the cd and you're like well this is the perfect way to carry this music you can like listen to it in your car you can have it on your strapped to your side as long as you don't jog <laughs> yes yeah, you can't perfect. move at all you can carry it with you, <laughs> you can carry it with you fantastic. Like, you'll move it's perfect so <laughs> you have a friend who'll push you in a wheelchair you can listen to your music at the same time <laughs> on a very smooth concrete pad <laughs> and so <laughs> But then, then CDs, yeah. The problem with CDs, of course, is like then then people was like, oh, we got to fill it. Mm-hmm. 
we've got whatever they they were set at some amount. I think it was seventy six minutes or something like that. Yeah, something like that. The, or eighty think, year. Yeah. I think it was the guy who the guy who ran so owned Sony set it at the length of his favorite symphony. That's what I heard. There was the eighteen twelve. Because he wanted to put that on there. Because they could have made it better. Yeah, yeah. But you couldn't have put the 1812 on there. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, that's as good as it's going to get. Okay, perfect. And so, and so, yeah, so like suddenly CDs got really long, but not better. <laughs> no. Like it was just like it became a chore. You're like, how much longer? <laughs> it's just like, I, you know, I like Prince, but come on. Yeah. Like, then it'd be a throw an interview on too. So I don't want to hear people talking for 15 minutes the, at the we, end. Or the hidden track where it'd be like 12 minutes of silence before <laughs> something would start. You're like, well, this is, and you can't fast forward to it. Or even worse, Prince's Love Sexy CD, which was one track. Oh, okay. It was the entire album. It might have been two tracks, but I, I, in my memory, it's one track. I have not listened to that album. <laughs> I have not listened to that uh, CD because it's just like, it, it seems, it's unbearable to me, the idea that it's just like one long, I guess I could like use, put it in a dasty or whatever and just break it up into tracks again. Oh yeah, I guess. And then split it up. Because that's how they did the Monty Python CD collection when it came out. Each album was on the CD as a track. It's a completely useless way to go through it. Garbage. I mean, they were, it was tricky enough at the time because some yeah. things were so short. Yeah. But at least you could zap through it. Yeah. Like, no, here yeah. you go. Yeah, if you brought a friend over and you're like, oh, I got to hear this. You could like aim the needle and get close <laughs> yeah, to you it. You could get close to it. So Unless stupid. you had matching tie and handkerchief, in which case you got really confused. Yeah. I'm sure it was on this side. <laughs> play it again. Is that it? I don't know. <laughs> and then it was weird because the, the, the CD... Uh, went in two different ways. One that just popped into my head because I'm looking at that. Is that a doo-wop one there? Or is that... I can't read what it says. Oh, that's a sound effect one. <laughs> okay, with sound effects. Yeah. But but you'd, now it'd be the kinks. Yeah. Right? And you say, oh, look, there's a three CD collection of the kinks. Mm. But now they were all like 20-minute CDs in. The, they'd package it to try oh, okay. to make oh. it look like there's more. And okay. Well, the, oh, that's no good. Now they were too short. And if you even got a regular one, like uh, uh, the Beatles or something, you put that on and you... Yeah. And you you get up again in like <laughs> half an hour. So that's it. That's fine. I know, but it's there, there's a, it's a psychological problem. <laughs> I think it is. It's psychological because I got get back for the for Christmas. Okay. The, the Let It Be box set. Mm. You know why I got that? Because you said <laughs> twenty years ago. Well, so you know, it's sitting over there. It's still in its box. I haven't oh, opened it? it yet. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not going to spoil anything for you by telling you what's on it because yeah. you know what's on it. I know what's on it. And so, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to listen to all of the CDs. Mm. And as you know, in these get back sessions, yeah. it was over not a very long period of time. Yeah, that they wrote all these songs. It's great songs. I didn't say great. <laughs> yeah, I, I went all quiet on that part. It could have been great. Yeah, and they are great. Yeah, but anyway, thank you very much. Thanks for the delivery. Special delivery. I mean, they're better than songs that I wrote, so they are great. But it seems like I have an, to ask you to bend over to do that because I cannot, uh, for the life of me, bend over. <laughs> an insurmountable challenge, though. The, even the Beatles. To, like, who do you think they are? The Beatles? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to write an album in two weeks and yeah, it's going to yeah. be good? It seems like a crazy thing. <laughs> but they got pretty. I mean, I think if they. I want to say. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I'll let you finish crinkling. I'll give you an answer. <laughs> Where's my celery? <laughs> yes. I think that if... Ah, oh, it's so... I mean, it's so wrapped up in its time period, right? Like, our, our view of it is has been shaped by by history's vision of what let, what Get Back or Let It Be was. <laughs> and, you know, it became like the breakup album, although it wasn't. Yes. But it became the breakup album, but coming out after. 
the, the you know when the group was breaking up and the movie finally was released mm-hmm. and the movie took on that as well took on that that yes. feeling of oh it's what a dark movie <laughs> my favorite Beatles movie because it tells a story it tells a story about the Beatles not like a made up Beatles who have like a one of them has a ring <laughs> this is like a real story of this group that yes create like this crazy idea it's not really spelled out very well in Let It Be I don't think but this like, crazy idea that mm-hmm. they're gonna you know record an album. You know, like write, record, and perform an album in two weeks, like with all new songs. I mean, I guess the idea with to Paul McCartney, I guess he was thinking, well, we've got a bunch of songs already. We we have a bunch of leftover songs that we demoed at Kinfons for the White Album, right? But we still have like a bunch of stuff. We still have like Child of Nature and you know whatever whatever other things. But then they didn't use like Teddy Boy and stuff. Those there's a bunch of stuff that kind of came from that. And I guess he was thinking, like, well, I guess we can use some of that stuff. We can write some new songs. I'm on a hot streak. George is on a hot streak. John is on a heroin streak. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Oh, yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it just, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of fell in the way of it. But it, it's still, like, an amazing story of, like, triumph from, from like, disaster to, like, interpersonal disaster. Mm-hmm. Like, George leaving, you know... Uh, John having obvious, obvious, obviously per- some personal difficulties. Yes. And then <laughs> from that to like this rooftop concert that, you know, even 20 minutes before it happened wasn't going to happen. <laughs> right, yeah. Like it's just such a crazy <laughs> thing. It's a crazy thing. Have you watched? I, I haven't listened to your guys' show. I hear there's a new format. I heard that there's a new co-host just for this one episode, in fact. <laughs> it's a new format. <laughs> uh, have you watched Get Back on Disney Plus? I did. And I, see, I haven't been able to get through it yet because mm. it is so dense and chewy that it's just like <laughs> and i tried to compare it to people that that, that maybe not be a, a beatles fan i say this is this is like watching somebody fix a <laughs> a motorcycle and even if you like motorcycles you don't get to and you already know that you already know the end of it yeah you know yeah. that someone's going to kick this motorcycle over <laughs> and so there's really some tough elements to it yeah yeah and yeah. uh and uh, so did you guys talk about it on the show? Have we you? haven't, because we're going to do a completely Beatles about it. So okay. I, I, I won't go into very much detail. I've just hinted on it, but I, I'm interested in your thoughts about it. Well, because I've watched the first episode. Yeah. Which I was, you know, you think, oh, well, I got two hours. And then you turn around and you're just like, well, this isn't even two hours. <laughs> Holy cow. That's the biggest thing that's so funny is like, it's a six-hour documentary. That's what I kept being advertised as. And then I turned on the first one. I went, two hours and 33 minutes? That's weird. And then I went to the next one. I'm like, two hours and 33 minutes? <laughs> This is worth it. But apparently, he added more stuff in, in yeah. between when it was announced to be coming out and when it got finally shown. It seemed like he was adding stuff like weeks before it was even supposed to be on. I think yeah. when I was watching it, it paused just for a second and he added more. <laughs> more. It's, yes, the first episode is now 243 minutes. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough because it's a, it's a documentary. Uh, at least I felt it was tough because it's a documentary, but it's not done documentary style, which I know that they didn't want, and I totally appreciate that they didn't want that. But sometimes you need, at least me, because I'm easily led. You want some narration or something? Someone just to say this is a thing, or, or well, I, I, maybe I don't even want that. But this is also just like how about watching. some like folksy narration, like, well, <laughs> the Beatles sure found themselves in a pickle this week when they decided they could record a whole album of music. <laughs> <laughs> Things didn't work out too well for <laughs> for, for the Beetle Brothers. <laughs> Those old Beetle Boys. That's right. Those lovable mop tops have got themselves in a heap of trouble this time. <laughs> when mean old Sheriff Hogg showed up to shut down the recording session. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think I can make it any better than what it is. But I'm just saying that it's not 
like you can't walk away. You can't put it on in the background and just sort of like, oh, they're playing music. They're jumping around and there's half muffled conversation and then more conversation. And you're just like this. And then suddenly George is like, well, I think I'll be leaving the band now. You're just like, well, what did I play two of us? It just come out of nowhere. Didn't it? Like I thought I, I felt like this. I don't want to like, I, I felt like when I, when I heard about it, I was like, well, finally, we're going to, like, get to the bottom of all... Because it's only been rumors before, right? Like, yeah. like the punch-up and all this stuff that had been rumored. And I think I talked about the punch-up in Complete the Beatles, and apparently I was wrong. But there's all this... this build, you know, So you have this idea that there's going to be a big build-up to it, but it's really, like... I guess he was just, like, smoldering mad through the whole thing. Like, this is this is a pile of leaves slowly waiting to ignite. <laughs> oily rags. Finally, it just, boom. Well, and then he's like, yeah, and he's so calm about it, too. Well, I guess I'll be leaving now. And he's just like, everyone's just like, assumes he's joking as well. Like, yeah. John can, is obviously like, well, see it. Or he's like, he's, you know, and then, then they realize, oh, he's serious. He's serious. He's out of here. <laughs> Take my toys and go home. Yeah, it's just, it's just that, and it's yeah, it's like the fourth day. It's like wow, okay, and then, and then uh, um, but you can understand some stuff about it. I mean, they they talk about, and this has happened so fast too. The famous argument, the mm-hmm. uh, which in, now in context is honestly sounds like George saying, "I'll play what you want me to play." Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that bothered. Like it's, it's whatever you want. Yeah. I'm, just, yeah. I'm here to help you That's right. do a song. We're just doing this. So. You're the one who's getting all weird about it. It's basically what he's saying. <laughs> Yes. And so that's weird. And but then when he comes in with uh I mean mine, I think, and then John says some snarky thing about hey, we're a rock band, you know, and he pats him on the head or something. I'm just like, What are you doing to this poor this poor guy? I feel like that about a lot of stuff. Like he's I mean, some things I can see, like all things must pass. I mean that, that they play that and I he's probably thinking to himself, Well, this is a song that I don't think is suitable for this project. Mm, right. It needs like a big thing it needs like a st- strings or something it needs something to make it elegiac which is what it is right and so that doesn't really work in this for what we're doing here so that's not a, a suitable song but then he brings in old brown shoe later on and sh- he haven't got there yet but he brings that in mm-hmm. and you're just like well this is like the best thing anyone's done so far <laughs> right i guess this is going to go oh, it's just a b-side oh it's a b-side on the ballad of john and yoko okay well that's fine i guess but it's just kind of weird like it just feels like you know there's two people who are doing great stuff like you've in in that first one, you see Paul writing "Let It Be," right? Um, oh, no, sorry, writing um, "Get Back," where he just starts like strumming it. Yeah, when well, that's so and, cool, like, right? Making this song out of nowhere, <laughs> and the other guys are just watching, like bored, like mm. again, <laughs> again, Paul writing another great song. <laughs> Yawn. Yeah. Then they all yeah they get in and then finally John shows up and is and they move on. But yeah, so that that's great to be able to see that go through there. And they yeah. put that that little caption on there, which says this is going to be the the next single. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, so. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, working on that, being working on stuff. I, I forget how far I got into the second one. I don't think they've moved yet. I think they pack, were packaging up the stuff to move to the okay, next location. Okay, okay. But that's when I stopped it and said, I got to go back and watch the first one again. <laughs> I have been rewatching them, but I, I kind of got derailed by Christmas, but I'll, I'll start again. It's just so dense and chewy. It's so good, but mm-hmm. it's just so rough. Anyway, so I was listening to the to the CDs because I thought, well, let's listen to the CDs. I'm going to listen to them all in the order that they want me to listen to. Yeah. And there's not enough. Not enough music? It's, it's, they've only got, how many songs are on Let It Be? 10? 12? It must, must be 14. That was like the standard for them. It might be 14 because the Glyn Johns mix of Get Back is yeah. on there. And I think there's 19 songs mm. on that. There's some medleys and stuff on his version. Yes. It's some yeah. talky stuff. But, um, you know, so I put it on and Jennifer's enjoying it. And then she says, you know, after you've heard Let It Be, this is take 26 of Let It Be. It's like, holy <laughs> shit. 
come on she says what is what do you want haven't you heard this and I said, it's, 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 it could be more they're building up to something here they're building up to something and so it was just funny again it's like either reading comic strips in a book or i, I thought of the same thing too because i've been watching that uh, the cartoons on me tv in the morning uh of beatles cartoons no 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 they oh. have just old warner brothers oh i see i see but I get up with the cat to give her her asthma medication, sure. and I watch cartoons. common common idiom. <laughs> yes, exactly. I woke up with the cat. <laughs> same old, same old. But uh, only now am I realizing the error of these things. Where it's just like I remember as a kid watching cartoon after cartoon after cartoon yeah. and and seeing the same gags again. But now when you're yeah. older, you really it starts to really like oh my god. <laughs> and you say oh I remember this was a treat. This was in front of a movie. Yeah, yeah. And you went to the movie. Not often, and it wasn't always one in front of a movie. It would be a different company, so yeah, you have to yeah. watch them all back-to-back. Back. Mm-hmm. So it's not fair to read Popeye, old Popeye, back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, yeah. or to listen to a making of six CDs. Yeah, yeah. Of, and the same was with the pet and sounds, maybe right? it, And maybe it's not for you, right? Like, like I, 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 feel, I feel weird that those things are as popular as they are, because they're really just sitting on people's shelves. Like, once they hear them, there's no reason to... To go back and listen to tape, take twenty six of let it of, of let it be or get well, back or whatever. Particularly of this stuff because I don't think it changed a whole lot through the process, and I, that's what I touched on before. I guess was because they kind of achieved what they wanted to do over a month. Yeah, and so basically what they got down is then what they learned and what they did, and then Phil Spector puts on his some stuff <laughs> a year yeah. later. Yeah. yeah, and so you'd say, oh, this sounds slightly different, but it's really them banging out the same song. There's nuances. I mean, even when you're listen, when you're watching the movie and they're they're playing, you're, it's like the, the nuances are they escape you as a listener. Mm-hmm. Like why why didn't this version, you know? And then you know, it's just little little things like maybe that coyotes <laughs> or children. I think it's children <laughs> okay. playing at being coyotes. <laughs> um, we, our neighborhood went like you know went from like young families to older families. Now it's back to young families oh, again. Oh, wow. That's the time so, you've been here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the waves, like we were the, when we moved in, we were pushing out the old folks who had been here before. Yep. And we came in as the young families and there was one, two, three, four young families in the neighborhood with some dotted older families mixed into that. And now we've, now, and then all those families grew up and now we're back to like <laughs> little kids. We have all these kids running around and trooping up and down and. Playing in our driveway when we came home, as you saw those kids. Playing right. There. So this isn't your house. This isn't your yard. Shut always, up. They're always knocking on the door to see if they can see the chickens. So I'm always doing chicken tours for all the neighborhood kids, <laughs> bring them in the backyard so they can feed feed blueberries to the chickens and stuff, which they all wow they'll enjoy. But you don't want to encourage them too much. But then you get the, the door and you're like, oh sure, let's go and look at the chickens. Look at the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's time for the chickens. Time for chicken feeding. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we've. The chickens are doing well. They're not doing great with the snow. They're not really. They're not digging the snow. They've just been living inside their their house, and the and the water freezes during the day. So we have to. Oh yeah, no one. So this is a big problem for us. This is we're just we don't do well with snow here in southern British Columbia. It's, it's we're, funny. We're not used to it. If we're used to it would come, when we were children. It would come, and if you were lucky enough, you got a half a snowman built before it turned to rain, <laughs> and you still insisted in playing out there. You came in like soaked. I, I do remember like bigger snows that, that fell but it was usually later in the year or later or later in like not later in the year but early in the like next a, year like, like january fe- february january yeah. february is mostly when we got our snow like it was pretty rare that we had like a christmas snow i think this is the first time we've had it in in four years or something like that i would guess so and especially that it was uh like hardish 
to get around. I think of that one in 2008 when you actually, actually came and picked that's, us up. That's the last time. That that's was... the last time we had Christmas at, or snow at Christmas was 2008. Was it really? Yeah. We haven't had like little bits of snow at, since then? No. Okay. No. I believe you, Master. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what they said in the newspaper. Where the can I buy time. some snow? <laughs> <laughs> How about you collect all the snow? That's right. We came and picked you up because you guys were snow snowbound. That yeah. was the crazy snow. That was the crazy snow. The snow that wouldn't stop. Yeah. Because we got lucky in, in a, with a break in the snow here. Plus, it got so damn cold here, which, again, we're not used to. Mm-hmm. But it makes the flakes nice and small, whereas we always have that zero-degree snow. And <laughs> yes. Snows it's, right. it's already kind of soggy when it, <laughs> when it falls. deep. You, you have a snowball fight with your gloves are all wet. <laughs> yes. Your hands are, like, aching. They're just, like, red as all can be. You get oh. in the house. and The yeah. cold water is too hot on your hands. Yeah. Oh, it was weird. But this minus 13, you know, everybody's hummingbird feeders are all frozen. <laughs> Ours is frozen out there. I can I can see it now. I put it out there a little earlier, and now it's frozen, so I have to bring it back inside again. But hopefully hopefully the hummingbirds got some use out of it before. It... Yeah. And they, I heard it on the news. Said, this is a big problem because people love to feed the hummingbirds, but not prepared for this. Just like, mm, sorry, hummingbirds. And they're like, hey, we don't. We went in all in on the, <laughs> on the red juice. What do you mean? You're not changing it. <laughs> I guess that's it. I mean... <laughs> I don't have like a hummingbird heater. And some of them feed at dusk and some of them feed in the morning and some of them feed in the middle of the night. So it's not like you could just say, well, I think you guys are probably. (laughs) So we should be like, I should have like three different feeders ready at all time and be switching them around. Yeah, That's good to know. And you you could do that if your back wasn't all buggered up. But you think of the elderly couple (laughs) that has the the thing, they got four on their deck and they're all frozen and the hummingbirds are looking in the window like, hey, what the... I put out. A, we're not allowed to feed birds in our townhouse complex because it attracts rats. Mm. As the theory. By the way, all developments attract rats. But yeah. that's fine. <laughs> yes, and uh, some of the people that live in the development <laughs> are, are rats. Rat like as well. But anyway, and that's true. I mean, I have. I have. Uh, in fact, next year we're not allowed to have any vegetables growing because it attracts rats. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> But I, I can see if you had rotting vegetables, but fresh vegetables should not be attracting rats. Uh, fresh vegetables attract rats, I found out, because if they can't get water easily somewhere, oh. they would love just to chew on your tomato. Just oh, enough okay. to wreck it for you. <laughs> <laughs> not enough to be noticeable until you pick it and bring it in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. enough to slake their unbearable rat thirst. <laughs> but I put you up could a, put in a little bit of water for them. I guess you could, yeah. You could leave out a bowl of water, but yeah. and then a, some a neighbor kid would drown in it, and then just said, no more bowls of water. Out. Then you bury the neighbor in your garden, and then you have some really nice fertilizer for that's, the next year. That's why you guys had to leave Delta. <laughs> the truth will out. The neighbor was digging in the crawl space. <laughs> but I put out a little, a little tiny round, like a like a donut shaped feeder that sits on a post and then you suction cup it to your window okay okay and i put it in a spot where you couldn't see it and uh <laughs> the, the rats birds... still saw it <laughs> no no the birds found it okay and they clean it out yeah but now now there was snow and i couldn't get to it without having to put on these boots yeah, and go out yeah. this way and dig a path there yeah and so i didn't refill it again and again i had a bunch of chickadees in the window like dude <laughs> we had an agreement <laughs> this is it. that's what i have here i've got chickadees um I think I saw a thrush t- this morning. We have chickadees, juncos, and uh, blue jays. Oh, and there's a hummingbird. Oh, my God. And guess what, hummingbird? <laughs> Closed for the season. <laughs> Freaking frozen water for you. Sorry, sweetie. Sorry. Oh, I feel so bad. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah you better go out and get it before. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I, it's just going to sit sitting here and thaw. I don't have another 
I should get like I guess an extra feeder or something, but the, they cost moolah. They do cost moolah. I and went, the, and in the end, you just say, "Well, what would you do if I wasn't here?" <laughs> That's right, to feel guilty. I didn't even notice actually because I would be doing something in the house. But uh, yeah, I was men- mentioned to you earlier that this on Christmas Eve day, the day that we should be like resting, relaxing, or or doing your last minute shopping. I I didn't need to do any last minute shopping, but I I went and bought bird feed in. in in Abbotsford, I drove into Abbotsford and got uh, bird seed for the for the feeders because we'd run out of it. And I wanted the birds to have seed because it said there was going to snow. Mm-hmm. And so I went in and uh, it was pretty easy because I'd never been there before. Well, Birds Unlimited, I mentioned earlier before. Turns out birds aren't a corporation. <laughs> Turns out it's not full of just wild birds. <laughs> it's not full of birds. You can barely get in. How many do you have in here? Unlimited! Run for your life! <laughs> they come in waves! So I, uh, I went in and I just said to the lady, uh, my daughter left a bunch of feeders at my house and I have no food for them. What should I use? And she's like, oh, just get this stuff here that's conveniently right by my counter. And so I bought that. And brought her home, and uh, and then when Mary came over on Christmas Eve night, we got everything all, or on Christmas morning actually, we got it all set up. We right. just came outside and set everything up together, got all up and working again. Well, that's so, good. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I know from uh, my Jennifer's in-laws, they feed the birds, and you have to have like you know, that's finch food. <laughs> you got to have this for the doves. <laughs> don't, don't get that because I don't even like the doves because I feel like doves are like invaders. Like I don't like encouraging invading like invading birds, and they have a dumb sound. <laughs> Dumb sound, and I can't get anybody to agree with me. <laughs> Cousins, all right. That's right. It's, it's isn't that so soothing? It's it's a that's that's that moaning, that pathetic moaning of the woo woo. Woo woo. Get out of here. I hate the doves. Oh, I'd rather hear pigeons than doves. <laughs> I think I'm against both of them. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I uh, you, you've convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a hard time with scavenger birds and stuff like that. Like, I went uh, I went with my friend Nina to the dump one time, and we saw we saw eagles there mm-hmm. at the dump. And ever since then, I've like I have no time for eagles. <laughs> I used to like I used to love them. Yeah, majestic. Look at them. I, I'm just like you, garbage bird. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> just weird carrion. <laughs> now I'm all hawks. I love hawks because hawks they don't they're not carrion birds. They don't they only eat they only eat live food that they catch. You know, right. so like myself, like <laughs> <laughs> you. Yes, if you, if you start put on ears and start crawling around on all fours outside, look out. Yeah, so well, I felt pretty good though. I felt really good about getting that bird seed. I thought, oh, I've done a great thing. I've done a great thing. But you mentioned I have a sore back, which is maybe I'll just mention that because uh, I mentioned on the last show that I had a really busy last day at work. We were supposed to have like a relaxing day, but instead we ended up like working with some of the heaviest stuff that we have to deal with at work (laughs) for like four hours in the morning. And then just as we were about to leave, we suddenly had to like do another like quick 11 of these giant springs. Um, And so my back was a little tender after that day throughout like New Year's and stuff (laughs) like that. And I also kind of heard, I think I heard myself a little bit trying to step over the gate by our stairs to keep the dogs from going upstairs mm-hmm. right now. Yep. You do the funny twist. I did a little twist and I, <laughs> yeah. And so that didn't help me. So I was sore and I was sore all weekend. And then on Tuesday, I was over, we were visiting one of Lisa's horses at, at his place and, and the water trough was frozen over. So I just thought, well, I'll just kick it. We'll kick it, you know, kick through it. <laughs> I'm a Dedrick boy. I'm, I'll kick that. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's the stuff I do. So I was like lifting up my foot really high in the air and plunging it down into this water trough and breaking the ice. Mm-hmm. Well, I did that a few times and then I realized, you know, I'm 55, it turns out. <laughs> 
So my buddy said, hey, David, 55, poing. And I was like, oh, 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 that hurt. Now, we've been working on our bathroom for quite a while. This has been an ongoing project since the summertime. Mm. Partly um, delayed by, like, flooding, house flooding. And then also the fact that, you know, the supply chain is in, a, is in disarray. Yes, just so you so, think that things are going to be okay. So, yeah, you can't get a car because you can't get a microchip. Yeah, that's you right. You can't yeah. get a computer for a microchip and you can't get birdseed because of microchips. You're yeah, just like, right. oh, I didn't realize. <laughs> it's, so, it's so important. You those... can't get glass because they don't need, they need to be turning glass into microchips. And they <laughs> need silica for microchips and also for glass. Yes, yeah, so and the machine that makes your bathtub <laughs> is run on a computer and it doesn't have the chip that it needs. So, we don't got nothing. So, yeah, so I think yeah. our bathtub look, took like two and a bit months to come when it was supposed to be a week-long delivery and then our vanity was also delayed by a month mm, and that's my done. vanity's been delayed for a year <laughs> with for reason <laughs> but ours is now sitting downstairs and uh because our bathroom still isn't done but I, we wanted to get drywall and that's the other thing it's been so rainy out the last while <laughs> yeah and we have no way of getting drywall home but in our pickup truck right i don't have like a cube van or something i can carry stuff around in so open back yeah of water so i couldn't <laughs> i couldn't take so 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 that day i threw like a pallet into the back of the, tr- the truck so it could rest on the pallet and not in the snow in the back we and after we dealt with the horse we went over to the, the lumber yard to buy some drywall so i got five sheets of drywall and I was helping the kid throw it in the back of the truck. And I knew I wasn't good. I, was, I said to him, I got a bit of a sore back, so I'm not going to be much help, but I'll give you a little bit of a hand. So we put in, so, so the way they come is like they're, they're, they're attached into two pieces, like two, two panels or whatever of drywall. So we did two of these panels, mm-hmm. like two of these two, two furs, and then we need to do one first. So we just tore off the paper strip on either side, and then you could separate it. So I pick up this strip, start walking, and then I let out this blood curdling, yow, <laughs> It oh, just like collapsed, <laughs> collapsed to the ground like a jack in the box that had been shot, and it was like, Ugh. Oh, no. and the kids like, kids like, I don't worry, I'll do it myself. <laughs> That's not what I'm worried about. <laughs> well, I was reaching my arm out to him, help! <laughs> and so I had to sit down and and take a take a short break on this uh, other stack of drywall that was at a suitable height, and I was like, I'm just gonna. He's like. He's, he's leaving. I was like, I'll just, I'm just going to rest a minute. And then I had to like, you know, like stagger over to the truck. Like, like I was a hundred years old, <laughs> bent like a question mark, get to the door, open it up. And then how do you get in? The truck is like, a, we don't have like the step up or anything for our truck. And no, you probably when noticed. I got in your truck today, I thought, I don't know how to climb into a truck. Do I leave no, here? It's so stupidly big. <laughs> I wish, I wish I could negotiate because if I had been smart when we bought our truck, I would have been like, I don't know. Maybe if it had a step up thing, I might buy it. But I didn't do that. Oh, you know, I'll just take a run every time I want to get in here. So, instead of being like a smart negotiator, I was like, oh, I'll take the truck. So now I got this stupid truck and I'm supposed to pay to get this step up thing on. And I don't want to pay to get that done because I could have got it for free if I'd been smart. So anyway, I uh, so I get to the truck and it's just like, how do we get up here? So I'm like, so I ended up like almost rolling in because I couldn't, I couldn't lift my legs up, but I could kind of bend. I was already bent anyway. So I just kind of like rolled up inside and then, and then I couldn't, I couldn't do the seatbelt up because I couldn't get my arm across my body or around the seatbelt because I couldn't turn myself. So we drove home from the, the, it's pretty close. It's, you know, a few blocks up the, up the highway or the Fraser highway, which isn't really a highway. It's like a, it's called a highway because it had, one or two less late, late, less places to stop than it, than the other streets. That's right. And so yeah, we just came along that, but I didn't have my seatbelt on, which makes me really nervous now. Because when I was a 
teenager. Oh yeah. I didn't wear a seatbelt. No. But and even when it became law, I still didn't wear. It. I was a scoff law. Exactly. It felt too restrictive. It's too, <laughs> like, like I take a bath in a raincoat. <laughs> <laughs> not wear my seatbelt, and if you know if we got pulled over by the police for a, ch- a road check, if they're checking for belts, I would just like quickly pull it over. You yeah, know, real sneaky. Whoop. Hello. Of course, it's been on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which now, like, if now I you feel like your legs, I know. Johnny Loose guy, like a marble on the floor, like you're gonna roll all over. <laughs> if I park at the mailbox and get out of my truck and ch- or get out of the car and check it, I get back in the car and put my seatbelt on to drive a half a block, like go around the corner to my house. Like it's yeah. just so silly, but you know, you're so habitual now and I feel so like naked without a seatbelt on so I was, the whole time I was driving home I was like well at least if we get in a car accident I'm already like wrecked so it's fine <laughs> got some I, coverage I have uh, uh, a few years ago I had a, a nice meal out and they had these things on the menu called Jerusalem artichokes okay and they're a root vegetable sure and they're vaguely related to sunflowers but they're closer to a potato <laughs> it's a strange thing <laughs> very, very strange <laughs> now I'm picturing a potato covered in sunflower seeds <laughs> mm, delicious <laughs> why did this restaurant fail I don't know you had one item on the menu <laughs> there's the frog and peach and then they moved out and then he ran in with very limited menu seed studded potato yes, yes. So yeah, they're funny little things, and they multiply like crazy. Okay, okay. But out of like the tiniest uh, little hunk of crap, it looks like it looks more like well, I guess it looks like a potato. It looks like a potato and ginger had a baby. Okay, it's a potato that shaped. Wait, ginger from Gilligan's Island? <laughs> yes, and potato from <laughs> McDonald's. Potato from the Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> Isn't that a potato host that show? It looks like a potato. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nasty burn on poor Joe Rogan. <laughs> He's sick, Dave. <laughs> but it grows these huge uh, 10, 12 foot yeah. things that come out that will occasionally flower. Yeah. Anyway, I always let these things grow and then they all fall over okay. because they're only this deep. <laughs> I don't know. How... Same with sunflowers, though. If you grow a sunflower, oh, it yeah. inevitably just breaks and lays in like half mass, and you're just like, oh, whatever. And then you know who mess. comes? The rats. <laughs> the, rats. <laughs> the rats come for the seeds. <laughs> Anyway, I uh, I thought a few weeks ago, yeah. actually uh, probably October, uh, I'll take these guys out. I'll just hack them off. I'm not going to dig them up because I don't want to bugger my back up because I got a bad back when I do that kind of thing mm-hmm. because I don't do anything. I don't go to the gym. I don't do anything, right? <laughs> so I just drag these things down. I don't know which is worse. <laughs> to the side of our of Oops, our house there by our front door. And we've got the green bin that we have to fill up for yeah. uh, <laughs> contractual purposes. Yes, yes. And so I get the clipper. And I clip all these things up. Yeah. And they're light. And I bundle them up and I bend down and I put them in here. And I bundle these guys up and I put them in here. And I bundle these guys up and put them in here. Yeah. And everything's fine. And I go back into the house and I should do those ditch- dishes. <laughs> I should do those ditches too. But first we'll do the dishes. And I remember taking a step and it went, oh, no. Oh, it's wet. I felt it go. It's like, what the hell? It doesn't go with like a normal thing, right? Like I was, I was, I was sharing lifting a piece of drywall, <laughs> one piece of drywall with another human being. Like well, I could do that. I, I would lift those in by myself in normal in normal days. You know, maybe my days of my youth. I guess we'd be probably more honest. Uh, no, but now you t- pivot on the ball. You take your step of left instead of right to start your thing. <laughs> yeah. And the body went gung, and I was like, oh, that's gonna come back to haunt me. Then I felt okay for a while. Yeah. The next day, I get up in the morning. <laughs> it's like your spine is like a, a bendy toy that's been broken, but yeah. you can feel the wires. Oh, yeah, You can yeah, make yeah. the wires touch in the bendy oh. toy. Oh, I can remember the first time I, I put my back out at work. I was pick, just picking up just a section, nothing heavy. It was I mean, sort of heavy, but nothing terrible. 
I picked it up and I could literally hear my back go poing. <laughs> and you know, and I, I worked the rest of the day. I should have gone home, but I worked the rest of the day. Yes. Luckily, I got put into an area where I didn't have to do like too much motion. I was just building boxes, so I was just like kind of. Went. But by the end of the day, I was like Yoda. I left. I left at Yoda angle. <laughs> like little. <laughs> I hope seagulls don't get me. I remember sitting on the couch afterwards, thinking, "Well, this feels pretty good." And I just I get in my head. It says. You haven't tried to get up yet, though, have you? <laughs> you just feel the big soft couch. Go on. It was like, oh, that's terrible. Lean forward. It's terrible. Oh no. I went uh, that night. I, we had made reservations to go to a restaurant for Eve's birthday, which had been put off because uh, the freeway was closed during Eve's birthday, so the girls couldn't mm. come to our house to have to, for us to go to, in, into town for a dinner. So we arranged this a while ago. Twenty eighth, we're gonna go f- out for dinner. One of our favorite restaurants in Vancouver Seasons at Queen Elizabeth Park. Mm, nice. It was very nice, eh? Yeah, mm-hmm. beautiful view, especially with the snow when we went. I guess it would be, yes. So we get there. Lisa was wise enough to stop and just force me out onto the sidewalk because I was like, "No, no, just park and I'll walk with you guys." And she's like, "No, <laughs> get out, get out of here, go on." She was hitting me with a stick. <laughs> Like, right on your back. <laughs> got out of the car. <laughs> Felt good though. I got out of the car. I got you know. I had to turn sideways and like lower myself down, you know. And then and then Mary got out with me so she could walk with me, you know. And so I'm walking and I could like barely make it inside. Right. I had to like take rest breaks, you know. And and, and I'm because part of it is it's really comfortable. If you are bent over like a really old man, like an old woodcutter, oh yeah, it's fine. Yeah, but you don't want to walk like that. You don't want it because you've seen what that looks like. But it feels great. <laughs> I'm fifty-five. I need I a cane. That's not where I want to be in my life. So I was like trying, like so you're like trying to get this sort of half bent over, half upright thing going, and oh, it was so awful. And then you know, then you it's back spasm that would like just floor you completely. So you have to stop and just like let that pass. You know, and then slowly, and it's also icy. You know, they put salt out and stuff like that, but you're worried, like, what if I slip? Oh, sometimes they put so much salt down that it's slippery. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You stepped on a big bunch of... <laughs> oh, it it's worked. like ball bearings. <laughs> yeah, they put out that big rock salt. Yeah, it's like, so. holy crap! <laughs> it's more dangerous than the ice. <laughs> so, yeah, I finally got into the restaurant. And then it's just like the humiliating walk across the restaurant. Like, I know no one's looking at me. But you feel you know, like... Theoretically, but the same way I can't dance is for the same reason I have a hard time walking across a room like a question mark. So I'm just like, just walking, oh, it's so awful. You know the chef's looking at it going, undercook his prime rib. <laughs> Fuck that guy's prime rib. <laughs> <laughs> that guy can't chew. What's going to eat at this restaurant? <laughs> when yeah. we went to uh, Italy several years ago, we did a big walking tour the first day. Yeah. And I didn't know that I had any issue. I don't even know what caused this issue, actually. <laughs> But we're walking around, and we walk over here, we'll walk over here, walk, 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 yeah. walk, walk. Where were you exactly? This was in Rome. Okay. And so we stopped at this little, uh, it was like a, a mall. Okay. But it seems like it had some historic significance. I don't even remember, because my <laughs> back was starting to hurt. Okay. My lower back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we had stopped, it was like a bathroom break. So there's a bathroom here, if you guys have use it. And I said to some people, said, is anybody else's back? Like eight, yeah, yeah, and they sort of said, "Yeah, yeah, sure." And a lot of walking today. There's seven hills, went up and down. <laughs> That's right. And so uh, we finished up in uh, in uh, I forget what it's called, Piazza Novona. I don't know, some former old uh, 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 chariot racing kind of thing. All anyway, right, all right. And we're gonna have gelato. This is our big treat at the end of the day. And so they said, they got to the, I think we took the bus to there. I don't yeah. think we had to walk to there. Yeah. So I get to the bus and it's like, oh gosh, my back. I step off the curb and that motion of going off the curb yeah. 
is like, no, it's like the spine said, ah, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. And I only stayed up by sort of balancing my top half on my bottom half somehow until it could reconnect enough. You look like Woody walking <laughs> Just for a moment, just like, hold oh no, I could have tumbled over like a big Jenga puzzle, but only just two parts. Clunk. And so I grabbed onto Jennifer and said, holy shit, I don't know. Fuck, my back is awful. We get the gelato. It's fine. You know, yeah, people yeah. rave about the gelato. Oh, you gotta have the gelato in Rome. <laughs> yes, yeah, sure. Have you ever had ice cream? It's like ice cream. It's really good. Well, they they could use a shovel to give it to you. <laughs> they might. I don't remember because of my back. <laughs> I just mean the trowel. They use, they use kind of a trowel to, to. Do they really? Yeah. Oh, okay. They use like a traditional ice cream scoop to to scoop gelato. They have like a gelato trowel. Wow. I remember they yelled at us because everybody tried to go into the store. Like, no, 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 in the store. We bring it to you. You bring it out of the store. Just like, oh, this is a nice way to wrap up. Then they, they took us back to the hotel. authentic. Ho- <laughs> took us back to the hotel. Yeah. They said, yeah, the rest of the evening is up to you. Whatever you want to do. We're on this tour. And so we went up to our room and I said, I don't think I, don't think I can do anything. <laughs> we went out for a short walk and yeah. I was like, no, this is not going to work. The next day was a little bit better, but not great. After walking on it for a while, mm. back was all screwed up. Mm-hmm. The next day we had time on our own. We were walking about halfway through where we were going to go. It was just like, I went off the curb again. <laughs> oh, sorry, dude. Don't repeat the problem. <laughs> oh, dear. And that's how it was for the rest of that trip. That was 2012? Yeah. Twenty. Uh, 13, walking around Disneyland uh, on the Route 66 trip. Okay. About uh, near the end of the day, it was like, well, and <laughs> for the rest of your evening, I'm done. It's at the back. I'm like, holy cow, this is awful. And then when, uh, in 2014, when I went to London for the Monty Python thing, yeah. and uh, Fred and I would walk around, again, the same thing happened. Just walking around. Mm. Everything would be fine. Yeah. By the end of the day, screwed. And he said, let's just run across this road. I'm running across... <laughs> Unless you're going to catch me on the other side. <laughs> so this just becomes my thing. Now yeah, I just yeah. don't do anything about it. I just think, oh, I'm, well, I should work on my core, obviously, because that's what it feels like <laughs> yeah, the yeah, failure yeah, is. Yeah. And the following year, we're at Disneyland again. And it's like, well, that's me done. We're sitting down in the, the eating area. Mm-hmm. Which one? Uh, the <laughs> Main Street area or the one in the French the French Quarter? <laughs> no, and, uh, we're actually in the Disney's California Adventure oh, side. Oh, okay. So that... we're down by the uh, Monterey Pier or whatever Sure, sure. And <laughs> this is riveting, I know, for the home listener. <laughs> uh, I say, well, I'm, I'm all buggered up now. I, I'm not going to be able to do anything else now. Sure. And somebody says, oh, take an Advil. I said, what are you talking about? So you shit the back spasm. I'm taking Advil. You'll be fine in 30 minutes. I said, I, I don't think so. That's not how back pain, crippling back pain works. And she, and she said, I have back pain. She's had like, you know, she's one of those people that has like a million pills. <laughs> you have an Advil. I said, okay. So I have an Advil. And I reluctantly drink it down and say, uh, pretty much no good. Half an hour later, big thunder mountain. <laughs> this is fantastic. I was like, oh my God, it was just an Advil. It was all I needed to, to make all those other trips better. Uh-huh. And I, I went to New York and I took Advil with me. Yeah. I didn't even need it in New York. I walked all over this place. So I don't know what it was. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. But uh, bending over, doing anything repetitive, it will knock me out for a week mm. or two. Yeah. No, it's not traditionally been a problem for me. I mean, it was when I was a farrier. Mm-hmm. I had like chronic back pain. When I did, when I did a fair, that's what, basically why I quit doing it. Right. You know, and for a long time after I couldn't, if I went to a concert and I stood at a concert, I would just be like nursing my back, you know, like kind of rubbing my back, lower back the whole time. Mm-hmm. But that went away. You know, like the last few years, I haven't had that issue. Like it just kind of went away of its own. 
but it's been replaced by this <laughs> new issue. It's my back giving giving one entirely so that I can't I can't get into my own bed. I have to like crawl in backwards like it's a reverse, you know, like you know. Yeah, it's really uh, annoying. So I spent a lot. Tuesday and Wednesday were the worst. It's a it's a bit better now. Like I'm still not 100, percent but but um, for the first time, I've never gone to one before. I'm going to a chiropractor tomorrow. <laughs> Because I, I went a... for the first time last year. It's like these quacks, they don't know nothing. <laughs> Made me feel like a million bucks. <laughs> this is about it. When I was a teenager, I read, a, I read an article by H.L. Mencken. It was a giant put down of chiropractors. Yeah. And ever since then, I've just been like, these ex plumber oofs. Yeah. And then, oh, sorry. Then you look at, I keep, keep tapping toes. I, I looked at, um, you know, I look at the, the, their bona fides on their website, you know, and this guy's like a doctor of kinesiology and, you know, has physiotherapy experience, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, and my friend recommended it, a friend from work, right? So no. I'm like, well, give it a, give it a try. Like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, they, they sell me chiropractor insurance <laughs> or something like, you know, it's just, so we'll see. I'm going to go tomorrow. I had to fill it a, I had to fill it a form today, like a big thing, you know, and some of it seemed a little goofy. So yeah. I'm a bit, I'm a bit wary of that. Cause it was like, <clears throat> what things are, you know, do you want to include the improve the quality of your life? Is that important to you? Yeah, but I don't feel like my back being better is going to improve the quality of my life. Besides my back being better, it's not like I'm going to be like, everything's coming up roses. Thank God, that bank loan that seemed to be looming over me last week is way better now that my back is good. Like that's, you know, I Massaged out of existence. <laughs> yeah, I so had to fun. fill out one of those forms, and I was like, oh, I'll do this and do this and do this. And it says, um, yeah, any health issues of your parents? I said, oh, my mom had this and mom had that. I said, oh, your mom had a stroke, eh? And I said, yeah, I can't touch your neck. What? They said, oh, yeah, no, if somebody in your family had a stroke. I said, well, it wasn't a... <laughs> was that a big stroke? She never had a stroke. The stroke of genius. <laughs> so I'm trying to give me the form back. <laughs> I forgot to qualify the sort of stroke she had. I think it was unrelated to this. I think it was a heart-related stroke. So I'm not touching your neck. I'm like, oh, but that's what hurts. Anyway. <laughs> but I did feel better after I went. And I have not gone again, so because mm. that's what my fear was. Was anybody ever talked to that went to the chiropractor and said, yeah. "Oh yeah, I go t- ten times a month. That's great." <laughs> just like that's, <laughs> that's not that's great. Really, this is fifty five dollars a visit. That's not good. Yeah, yeah. I just worried I'm going to go. Yeah, they're going to be like, "Well, your hip is three percent higher on this side, and it's uh, tilted at a forty five degree angle." According to the blah, and just, like, you know what? Like, I have lived my entire life with my hip at a three degree angle. Then it doesn't matter, you know. Like, really, what this is about is age. It's yes. not about, it's not, it's nothing to do with like, it's just, I'm worn down. I'm 55 years old. I've worked physical jobs my whole life. Yep. I'm wearing down. What I want from you is that I can continue to work without wearing down anymore. And I just need some sort of corrective. Or... So you're saying your quality of life needs to be, uh, <laughs> suddenly this doesn't seem like such a foolish question, does it, Mr. Dedrick? No, I answered that one above what I wanted. I said, I want to be able to work. He said, what is your goals? What is your, what are your exercise goals? And I was like, I said, I was like, um. I said, I said something like, I want to, uh, tr- trying to ma- managing to, to maintain, to manage, or sorry, managing to servicely, serv- servicely maintain my youthfulness. That's my, that's my, my workout goals. <laughs> I just want to be able to like, you know, walk around and not look like I looked the last few days. That's, that's my goals from working out. And the problem is, is, you know, we haven't been able to work. I haven't, I love working out and I haven't been able to do it very much because gyms keep closing. So <laughs> it's frustrating. Yes. It's a little frustrating to me. I was going to say something else, but I can't remember what it was now, so it's not important. Play back the tape.
Unimportant. It's unimportant. Uh, Ian is okay though. Speaking of people that have injured themselves, so he he slips on the ice. He How slipped. did he fall down? Yeah, I guess he was walking to the store, walking along the sidewalk, and just slipped on on some ice. Ugh. Fell backwards, hit the back of his head on the ground. Right. And um, you know, if it happened to me, I'm like a cat. I would flip around, oh, land sure. on all four four <laughs> four feet, four you know, hands and feet, and then then my back would give out. And I'd be on the ground, rolling around. Yeah, <laughs> same result, <laughs> same but result. but face down. <laughs> So, yeah, he fell, <laughs> hit his head, but he seems to be fine. He seems to be fine, yeah. Good, because remember when I broke my ankle that time, I just slipped and fell. Mm, and mm. I heard it pop. It didn't make any sense that it went, but it <laughs> did. So, I, I that's scary shit when you fall down. And now I'm scared of the snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even walk normally in it. I think that's why the salt in the parking lot gives me a grief, because mm. I think every time I step out with my right foot, yeah. the brain and the foot try to do some kind of... <laughs> they're trying to compensate. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's a mess. I guess, you know, it scare you, because, yeah, like, the problem with, like, falling is that, well, most of us don't know how to fall. <laughs> you know, we're not Buster Keaton. <laughs> right? Like, you know, he lived a good long life, because, you know, anytime he fell, he just, like, did a pirouette and... <laughs> on his head, and then just you know, did some sort of magnificent fall, and we're all like, "Oh, amazing!" Yes. he's sixty, and he did that. Me, right. I went down sideways and broke an ankle. <laughs> yes, well, that's it. I fell to my left and broke my right ankle. Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot different too, and it's also different to fall when you're twenty, right? And when you're in your fifties or forties, you know. Yes, I guess I was in my forties when I did that. Yeah, yeah maybe late thirties. <laughs> maybe you should have. Maybe you should have done more falling when you were a kid. <laughs> that would have been better. All right, what are we at for time here? I just got to look at my time thing. Yes, because it's getting dark and uh, I should... <laughs> You're scared? <laughs> no, well, sort of. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so one of the things I, I asked if you listened to the show... And I said religiously, said... <laughs> but not, not this one. <laughs> you said religiously only at Easter. <laughs> yeah. That's what you meant. Yeah. Sometimes at Christmas, only at Easter. Easter of leap years. <laughs> I'm agnostic <laughs> or something. Yes. <laughs> I slightly believe... <laughs> So orthodox. I mentioned that we had a new, we had a feature where we did a top five songs. Yes. This is not it. No. Because we have another thing that we do in the show, which started. I don't. Don't ask me how this started. <laughs> okay. Do you know the Do you know the old soap opera, TV soap opera, gothic soap opera, Dark Shadows? I know of it. Okay. I never saw it. I know what's the that's the guy Barnaby Rudge. What's his name? <laughs> Barnabas. Barna, Barnaby Rudge is a Dickens novel. <laughs> subject of a Monty Python sketch on one of the records. Probably why you know that one. Right. It's one of his few historical novels. Oh. But uh, it is it is not. It's Barnabas Collins. Barnabas Collins. Yes. Right. And so um, yeah, what happened like a couple years ago when I was doing listening party, our music show, Mary and I. Mm-hmm. I did a Halloween show episode, and I listened to this song while I was looking. While I was listening through some of my Halloween collections, looking for songs I thought were worth compiling into a, you know, the ones that weren't the same song version, another version of the Monster Mash. Mm-hmm. I I stumbled upon this kind of a bubblegum rock song called Barnabas, and it was a rock song about Barnabas Collins, which I didn't know. I never heard of the show. I mean, I've heard of it. I knew the Tim Burton monstrosity, <laughs> and so I thought. And so I looked it up because I just wanted, you know, I wanted to give a little information to listeners what they were hearing. And so I was reading about this show and I was like, this show is crazy. This show sounds fantastically weird. Mm-hmm. And then, it started out one way and then it went the other way, it right? Started, it started out as kind of a, a kind of a, um, yeah, it had like a bit of a Jane Eyre story to it with a, a young orphan girl arriving in this town, Collinsport, looking for her parentage and then becoming the, the governess of this family. 
that live there, the, the Collins family, who are sort of the the town, the the you know the big the big family in the town. The town is named after them. Right. They're the main industry in the town, you know, and and then there's all these kind of. And it started off as sort of a goth, very gothic kind of thing, and then over time it became more and more. It started taking on supernatural elements. There were ghosts. There was a, a, a phoenix character, stuff like that. There were kind of weird elements to show. Uh, but the show was not doing well. It was going down the tubes. The the ratings were. It was the least. It had the lowest rating of all the of all the afternoon soap shows. And so they're pretty much going to get cancelled. And they just thought, what the heck? Let's just have some fun. The 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 producer of the show had always wanted to make a vampire show, mm-hmm. so they decided to introduce a vampire for like a six week storyline. Right. So they, that's where Barnabas Collins came into the show. This idea that he was this ancestor of the family who who is uh, freed by the by a, a an kind of criminal idiot who thinks there's jewels in this mausoleum and discovers accidentally discovers this secret room that has a chained coffin in it and decides, well, where else would you hide jewels but in a chained coffin inside a secret room in a mausoleum? So he opens this coffin and he frees this vampire. And so what happened, though, is that Barnabas became so popular, the show just took off into the stratosphere that instead of being a six-week storyline, he became a permanent part of the cast. And basically the show started to center around him and kind of pushed other cast members out of the show. Right. And uh, had crazy elements where, like, they traveled back in time. After a seance, the, the governess goes back to 1795. Or, sorry, 17... Yeah, 1785, I think. 1785. And, you know, it explains the, the origins of Barnabas and his battle with Angelique the Witch and all and all these things of that time period. And then then it comes back into the the, the, the present of that time period again and, and all these sort of things like that. And then recently... Barnabas, the house came under attack from a, a ghost named Quentin, Quentin Collins, a past ancestor, has has succeeded in in scaring everyone from into leaving the house. Basically, he's turned the house into this unsafe place. He has kidnapped one of the children, David Collins, who is now missing, and so Barnabas decides he's going to go and free him. But to do that, he decides he needs to uh, use this method. This method they discover that Quentin Collins had in his room, the I Ching, which, as you know, is a powerful way to transport yourself through time. Okay. Well-known fact about the I Ching. Right. And so in the story, he's in a trance in the the present of the show, but in the past, he is awakened. He awakens in in the coffin, chained in the coffin again, and where he's freed by a gypsy, Pacha Ian, mea culpa, uh, Roma, He's called a gypsy in the show, but I guess the, we're supposed to call them Romas now. So this Roma lets him out, and Barnabas is now free in this time period, and it's 1897. So we're back in 1897, where we now we see Quentin Collins, as, not as a ghost, but as a person of that time period. Right. And um, so there's some some stuff with the will that's happening. There's a bunch of people. There's a sec- family secret, and it was revealed in the last episode that the family secret was Barnabas himself was the fact that the family had a vampire locked in a room inside the mausoleum. And each generation of the family had to carefully guard this this coffin to make sure that it was never disturbed and the, the vampire could never be freed. And then vamp- here is Barnabas standing in the room in front of this woman who has the secret, wants to pass it on to her oldest son, and here is the secret standing right in front of her. <laughs> and so she is rather disturbed by this. And uh, so we're starting everyone with episode 706. The show went about 1,400 episodes. There were half... There was, a half hour every day, five days a week. Uh, the show was f- filmed live to tape. There was no, it was no editing. Okay. 
they did not go back to fix mistakes. So if the people forgot words or stumbled during their lines, uh, it's it's there forever. It's on the show. <laughs> it's a very interesting program in that way. So if you have any questions, comments or anything, feel free to to ask. Ian constantly does, so that's that's perfect. So this is the segment? This is the segment, We're yeah. moving into it now? We're moving right into the segment, everyone. <laughs> this is uh, Dork Shadows. So um, Edward, the brother, the oldest son, pleads with his grandmother to tell him a secret. But because she has had this experience with Barnabas, she's basically lost her marbles. So she is she is distracted and fretful. She's she's saying a bunch of words that make no sense. She does say mausoleum, but he doesn't know mausoleum? What? You know? Uh, now Barnabas returns to the old house. And he orders Magda, the other other uh, Roma woman, who's there's a Sandor and Magda, the two the two Romas who were living in the old house at the time. <coughs> now Barnabas, because he loves the old house, that's where he lived in his time. When and he his was, time is like a hundred years earlier than his. This? His time was in 1785. Okay. That's right. So and it's a New England kind of a thing. It's a it's, yes, basically yeah, yeah New England like yeah, yeah. Uh, it's supposed to be in like Maine or someplace like that, Collinsport. Okay. So he returns and he, he orders Magda to remove the coffin from the mausoleum. And make it look like no one's been in there for a hundred years. So, you know, just make sure the dust is not disturbed and make sure it just looks like nothing was going on in there. I.e. don't have like a drag mark of a coffin. <laughs> and uh, so she's all, she's, she's quite fun because she is uh, mouthy. But uh, so she's, she, but she agrees that they'll do this because her husband, Sandor, is under his control. Because Barnabas bit him upon arrive, coming out of the coffin. That's rude. <laughs> <laughs> So we cut back to Edward and and his grandmother still he's still trying to get her to tell him what's going on but she is you know she is dotty. Um, now Barnabas returns to Collinwood and he goes into the drawing room which is a popular set. The the Collinwood set is basically the doorway foyer drawing room. Stairs up from the, in the foyer there stairs up to the upper story that people go up but you hardly ever you do see some parts of it but it's very disconnected feeling. Basically the popular set is the drawing room. So he goes in there and he sits down and he's he's uh, waiting. And then a secret panel, which we know from the show, a secret panel opens behind him, and this man comes out from behind this door, and he's played by John Carlin. So here's the other thing. When they go back in time, the actors from the, the show play different characters of that time period. Oh, so nobody loses a job. Nobody loses a job when they go back in time. It's really fun. It's kind of fun. I assume they're on, a lot of them are on contracts. But also, like this guy, John Carlin, mentioned that what was great about the show was that they would willingly write they would willingly write you out of the show if you had another job. So if you got like a a job and a you know a part in a play mm-hmm. and you couldn't do the show for a month or so, they'd be like, "Oh, that's fine. We'll just write you out. And when you're free again, we'll just bring you back into the show." Oh. So John Carlin hasn't been in the show for a while as his character Willie Loomis, but here he comes out. We don't know who he is yet, but he comes out and places a gun to Barnabas's head and demands to know who he is. And when Barnabas tells him that he is cousin Barnabas, because he doesn't want them, he's not saying I'm a vampire from 100 years ago. <laughs> he's saying I'm your cousin who's come from England. And this and uh, John Carlin's character is like, no, you're not. You're lying to me. You are someone else, and I want to know who you really are. And Barnabas is like, no, no, I'm, I'm a relative. And nope. And he starts counting down with his gun to his head, five, four. And Barnabas is merely repeating the lie over and over again because he is lying. Yeah. But, but it worked in the 60s. It worked before, yeah. yeah. It worked before, so what the heck? This is his go-to. And so finally he gets to zero, and he pulls the trigger. And this rod comes out of it, and, and a little flag comes out, and it says fib on it. And the John Carlin character thinks this is the most hilarious thing that's ever been done. And, of course, Barnabas, who was justifiably scared by having a gun, doesn't find it very amusing. Uh, but he... Uh, so yeah, blah, blah, blah. so the man thinks this is a great joke, but Barnabas, and he introduced himself as Carl Collins. 
Uh, he seems a little nutty, and but he intimates that he has a secret way to discover the contents of the will. So everyone's very concerned about what's in the will. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to know what the secret is, and everyone wants to know what they're getting when Grandma dies. And Grandma is on her deathbed. Um, so he believes that he and Barnabas will be great friends. He tells Barnabas this. Barnabas is not as convinced. And then he leaves. We go back upstairs where a frustrated Edward is still trying to convince his, his uh, mentally failing grandmother to tell him the secret. Just tell me the secret, grandmother. But she mistakes him for Daniel Collins, some character from her past. And, and so he is just really frustrated. It's not, it's not going well for him. He is the oldest son. He is this very... Uh, he's played by um, uh, the character who played Roger Collins, the brother. He's a very, you know, kind of... Um, serious not 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 a not a laugh a minute guy okay it's a big self-important self-righteous jerk then his grandmother falls asleep so at that point edward uh barnabas returns to see what if you know he's actually spying at the door but when when edward opens the door he pretends that he was coming to visit to make sure that grandma was okay sure so edward invites him in and you know introduces himself meanwhile back at the old house (laughs) carl reveals his secret source for what's in the will and that's magda the Roma, who had a close relationship with the grandmother, she was she was the card reader and fortune teller for this grandmother, who believed that she was a very powful gypsy fortune teller. Sure, Rasputin sort of a deal. <laughs> so she does a tarot reading for Carl, uh, and she's, you know, she turns over the Joker, which she thinks refers to him, and she says, no, the Joker means murder. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. And then she turns over a card, and she stands up, and she's shocked. She has to walk around the room, you know, and sort of fan herself, and she says, your grandmother has died. That's what this card revealed. She has died, and she says to, she says to him, and she didn't get to tell Edward the secret, but someone knows the secret, she says. So we cut back to Edward standing over his late grandmother with Barnabas, and he swears he will find out the secret. So even though she failed to tell him, he's somehow going to discover this. Of course, Barnabas does the classic eyes back and forth. <laughs> Ooh, what secret? I can't. <laughs> so what's interesting about these episodes, like before when they would do, so that was the end of this episode. So we cut right. to the next episode. And before what they would do is they would, because they didn't edit it, they would reenact the final scene of the last episode or a little bit of the last episode. But what's interesting about these last, the next couple of shows is there's no reenactment. It just kind of starts. Oh. The show starts. So Edward enters the drawing room wearing a black mourning band on his arm. So we know, of course, Grandma's dead. She's been dead for a little while anyway, because he's had enough time to put on a black mourning band. And he goes to the this writing desk and opens a container and a spring snake pops out of it. Uh-oh. Scaring him. A howling Carl <laughs> comes out from behind the curtains. Once again, the most hilarious joke anyone's ever pulled. Uh, of course, Edward's not very happy with him, but Carl reveals that Magda um, has told him it isn't that although Edward wasn't told the secret, someone was. So Edward calls a family summit. So we have all the family, all the brothers and sisters of the family. Judith is there. Carl's there. And Quentin's there. Quentin is the black sheep of the family. And so... They all begin pointing fingers at each other, mostly at Quentin, as being the person that forced her at, you tried to choke the truth out of, or the secret out of her. <laughs> right. Uh, they all point fingers at each other, but then Quentin accuses Barnabas of knowing. He says, Barnabas was in the room. If we don't know, who else would have she have told? She might have told Barnabas. So Carl goes to the old house to find, find him, but no one answers his call, partly because it's daytime. So where is Barnabas? That's what I was going to ask. Does he have to follow those rules? He has to follow those rules. He's only a nighttime guy. He's a nighttime okay. guy, yes. So he's in he's in his coffin right now. And that's partly why he keeps Sandor and Magda around, because they are there to protect him. Does he sleep in the mausoleum coffin room, or does the, he have his own room with they, the curtains? They have now brought the cur- the coffin to, to, to the old house, so that the, the mausoleum is now... Right. 
So he is sleeping at the house here. In a coffin, though. In a coffin, yes. Hmm. So um, now uh, Carl somehow noticed something. Like they do this weird shot, like they shoot through the cellar door. And so he like looks at the cellar door and he's like, huh, what's going on over there? So he starts walking over to it and you're like, oh, oh he's going to discover the coffin. So he opens the door. Commercial. Commercial <laughs> break. And then uh, it, it um, let me just turn the page, everyone. Sorry. Sander comes out and tells him that Barnabas is away. And uh, and then Carl says, well, that's not good enough. I need to bring Barnabas back. And he says, well, just tell him that he's away. And he goes, they're not going to believe me. And then Sander makes this joke, which just kills me because it's so like so nothing you'd hear nowadays. He's like, well, you must have gypsy blood in your family. Well, why is that? Because you don't trust each other. <laughs> so, whoa, that joke, that joke's not going to fly nowadays, folks. So Carl decides he's going to bring Sandor back. Sandor will be his witness that, that uh, Barnabas isn't there. Meanwhile, back at Collinwood, there's two different houses. So just so you know, we learned this in the past, that the old house, which is called the old house, because that was the original house on the property. Then they built the new house called Collinwood. And that's where the family lives now. So the old house has been allowed to fall into disrepair. Sure. It looks spooky, I bet. And looks spooky. That's right. <laughs> so in the present time, when, when Barnabas reappeared, he forced Willie, who is, is his kind of blood vampire slave, to help him restore the old house back to its former glories. And now he's got the, the two Romas doing it in this time period. Because that's, you know, he, he knows how to live. <laughs> so Rachel, the governess, is out on the terrace. Uh, and she is approached by Quentin, who, by the way, is just a horn dog. So he's all over her, uh, and he, you know, he offers to, uh, you know, he says, "You and I are very much alike. You know, we're kind of outsiders of the family. Uh, you know, you should be my friend because I can help you. Uh, I will show you. I'll give you a tour of the house and show you all the secret corners of the house. And we'll start with the West Wing. What's in the West Wing? All my rooms, of course. So. Uh huh. <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> so then." Uh, Rachel asks about the tower because you can see this big tower there, and he says, "Well, that's off limits. Uh, there's a legend. There's a legend that there was a suicide there, which is true. Barnabas's mother, Naomi, killed herself when she discovered who what he was when he became a vampire. Uh, so there's a legend of a suicide there in 1796. Uh, then Sander returns with Carl to Collinwood, and uh, Judas gives him and Magda 24 hours to leave Collinwood. So she immediately makes the, them not friends of the family, which is not a good idea, because they, they have a lot of knowledge. That night, Rachel is outside, back on the terrace again. Maybe she didn't leave. Maybe she's just hanging on the terrace all, all night. <laughs> I would. And she sees the windows of the tower lit up. Lit up. And she's like, oh, that's not supposed to happen. They, no one's been there in a hundred of years, according to, in a hundred years, according to, to Quentin, the hound dog, the horn dog. <laughs> so then, um, so inside though, Judith walks in on Edward, who's unhappy that she came in. They have, but they have... But through their conversation, we realize they have some sort of business that's related to the tower, but we're not clear what it is, but that he wants nothing to do with it and not to know anything about it and just wants her to deal with all of it. Rachel enters, greatly disturbed, because she's seen lights in the tower after being told that no one has been in there for 100, 100 years. Uh, Judith hustles out of the room and up the stairs. And Edward strongly denies that those lights were on and says, you know, says, were they candlelit or were they bright? And she says, well, they were bright. Well, that can't be because there's no electricity to the tower. I think he must have been mistaken. So they go outside and the tower is now dark. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Rachel just stands and looks confused because she's being gaslit, of course. So she's like, well, I could have sworn there were lights on, but I guess there weren't. Maybe she's being electrically lit. <laughs> <laughs> Later, Barnabas arrives and Edward takes him to see Edith lying in her coffin. There he accuses Barnabas of having been told the secret, which Barnabas... Who has told the secret? Because he is the secret. He is the secret, yes. He, he knows the secret. He's the secret. But he denies it. Yeah. He denies having anything to do with this. 
And uh, so Quentin, uh, so we cut back to Quentin, of course. Oh, uh, there's always a lot of cutting back and forth, you know. You might have like a, a like a slow pe- uh, zoom in on someone, so another actor has time to leave the set to get to the other set because there's <laughs> right. no cutting, right? So we, right. they have to travel set to set, you know, and change, put on jackets and stuff like that if they're going outside and all those sort of things. So yeah, it's quite it's quite cleverly done the show how it's written. It's written so that there's a limited amount of actors because they can only have so many actors per episode, so they have to leave some of the actors out. Right. They can't have everybody showing up because that would just be too expensive. And then also they have to write it so that they can they can maneuver it, you know. So it's sort of fun. It's like watching a play. Yes. But filmed from a long time ago, directed by crazy people <laughs> and written by crazy people and produced by crazy people. Um, so yeah, Quentin uh, opens the door to the family lawyer, Evan Hanley, who's played by the wonderfully named Humbert Estrado, who we last saw on the show as Nicholas Blair the demonic brother of Angelique the Witch. So now he's Evan Hanley, the family, family lawyer, but still playing the same kind of creepy dude because uh, <laughs> we learned that Edith Collins had something on Hanley, but that Hanley hated her for it. And that he has like a dark secret in his past that Quentin's also aware of. And Quentin tries to pressure Hanley into forging the will in his favor. And at first Hanley's like, no, we won't have time and I don't, we can't do it. You know? And he's like, what if I give you some money? I'll give you a cut. Of money oh, from we can it. Find time for that. And then, so Hanley's like, "Well, maybe we could do this." And so they kind of come up with a little quick plan on the spot what they're going to do. And uh, so now they have to figure out where the will is. So the will, the will is hidden. There's a letter saying where it is, but no one's opened that letter yet. And so they need to find out where the will is before the letter is opened. Meanwhile, Barnabas meets Jameson Collins, the young, the young child of the family, who is played by the boy who played David Collins in the in the present period. He tells Barnabas that. Uh, his, his uh, grandma, as I said before, thought that Hanley was a shyster and he, he had equal discontent for her. So, And then he gets upset when Barnabas seems to imply that Quentin isn't the most honest person in the world. Jameson gets very upset and runs out of the room. And he says, you know, that to him, Quentin is the greatest thing since sliced bread, which is, doesn't exist yet because this is 1897, <laughs> and runs away. And then uh, Magda arrives at, at the old house to be, of course, grabbed in a chokehold by Quentin. Of course. Who demands to know the location of the will. And uh, she agrees, because she's being killed, she agrees to tell him. And then when he lets her go, she says, but you have to pay me $5. And I ask that because I know you don't have $5. But the joke's on her. He has $20. She has no change. She has no change. <laughs> she says, you can keep it. <laughs> and so she tells him it's hidden in the lining of Edith's coffin. Because she felt that the family would never think to look there because they wouldn't be thinking about her. They would all be fighting over the will and how to, you know, and so they would just ignore her. And so she had that sort why she hid it. Then Quentin threatens Magda with a knife and because he wants to know what is, what is in the will. And she reveals that he will get nothing. So now he knows that he has to pursue his plan of forging the will. Now, Barnabas overhears part of this conversation, but he thinks, he misinterprets it and thinks that, uh, Magda is going to reveal to Quentin the secret, i.e. Barnabas' secret, which is not what was happening. But that's what he thinks. And he gives her a threat as well. She's getting threatened from all sides. <laughs> Jameson lets Quentin in through the window. So Quentin comes back to the house, but he doesn't want the family to know he's left or returned. So he sneaks in through the window. Jameson there lets him in. And then Quentin, who's quite literally like a jerk, and a, a villainous character who's always manhandling women and threatening people. But to Jameson, he's like a hero. And he comes in and he pretends he's like an old pauper who's begging for money. And he comes in and he's joking with him. And then he say, oh, that's why he likes him, because he's a fine uncle. Right. You know, he doesn't know that he's a, you know, a possible murderer. <laughs> and, a, and so uh, he 
then Jameson says he he is being forced by his father to to, to view his dead great grandmother, and he doesn't want to do it. And Quentin says, "But you should do it because you have to pay your respects to your grandmother." And he gives him like a pep talk, explaining to him why he shouldn't be scared. And if he is scared, call him and he'll come in in and help him. But he should do it on his own, you know, and prove that he can do this thing to make, you know. He says, I didn't ask you to come with me when I went on a boat around the world. You know, I had to do that on my own. I had to learn those things on my own. And you do too, you know. So he gives him this really mature, good pep talk. But also, he says, what I want you to do when you're in there. Is there's an envelope that's for me <laughs> in the lining. In the I want you to feel around where your grandma's, your grandma's, <laughs> the great grandma's lying, and give that to me because that's that it's for me. So so um, so he tells he tells Jameson that it was told it would be there in a dream. That's why he explains his knowledge right. of it. Now uh, Edward has already decided that they're just going to like forego all all decency and any sense of propriety and open up this this letter from Edith from the great from the grandmother to find out exactly where the will is and quentin of course objects but his objection has nothing to do with like that he thinks it's wrong he just doesn't want you know the will to be discovered before jameson can get fix it. it yeah so edward opens the envelope they read the the, the the letter they discover where it should be but unbeknownst to him jameson's already found it and has taken it so when he goes into the coffin room where the coffin's lying uh jameson is hiding behind a chair and uh edward discovers nothing the will is the the will is gone so even more shocking the secret is unknown, and now the will is gone. So everyone is confused. Seemingly, of course, Quentin knows what's happened. But Barnabas knows uh, that Quentin had a hand in this. And when everyone's gone, he accuses him of it and gives him one hour to return the will. Later, uh, Barnabas accompanies Judith to see her grandmother. And um, Judith is disturbed to the idea that her grandmother's will has been taken. And feels that that would disturb. Like, it's, she's sad. She's, the grandmother's looking down on us. And now everyone's making a big fuss about the will. This, this should be about her. And uh, meanwhile, Quentin is on the phone with Hanley, the lawyer, arranging the forgery of the will. Uh, he is interrupted by Barnabas, and he invites him into his room. And Barnabas is surprised to find E. Ching Wands on the table in, uh, in, in Quentin's room. Mm-hmm. And Quentin explains that he traveled in the Far East and he brought those back with him. But he says, I have no idea what, how, what, how they work. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, Quentin and Barnabas talk in circles about the will, and Barnabas predicts that Edith's spirit will not rest until the will is in the proper hands, and tells Quentin this. Then Barnabas meets Rachel Drummond for the first time, and he comments on her resemblance to the portrait of Josette, his one-time fiancé, in the old house. Because in the uh, past, when the character of Josette was played by this actress who played the governess, (laughs) so there really is a resemblance. Uh, Judith is speaking to uh, Quentin, Upset that Barnabas will not be the pallbearer because she offered Barnabas the opportunity and Barnabas said, of course, I'd be happy to. She says at two in the afternoon, he said, I'm sorry, I'll be away. Hmm. Because he cannot, of course, appear at two in the afternoon. It's tricky. A bit tricky for him, <laughs> yes. There is no umbrella rule. <laughs> Sunglasses and umbrella rule the way there is in the uh, movie version of... of, uh, of um, Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows, yes. <laughs> so then, uh, um, of course, Quentin, being like a jerk... You know, suggests that Sandor, the Roma, should be carrying the, you know, and of course Judith like, a gypsy carrying a... Shocking. Never. Never. But then Judith, when she leaves the room, she finds a glove laying on the floor outside of Quentin's room. But it's their grandmother's glove. Even more disturbing, it was the glove that she was wearing in the coffin. And Quentin says, well, she must have had two of them. And she says, no, she only had one of them. And I know it's hers because I, I dressed her for, I dressed her for the coffin. So Quentin, of course, is being full of bravado. Uh, but, uh... He, 
he's not very happy about this. So they go down to the coffin and they find that indeed the glove is missing from her hand in the coffin. And uh, so he's pacing the drawing room when Beth enters. And of course, Quentin, as soon as he's a woman, is me like, well, yeah. <laughs> turns on the Pepe Le Pew. Let me take you to the Casbah. And uh, he thaws her icy exterior because the actress who's playing her does a pretty much a one note uh, thing as kind of like, like angry. That's her, that's her character. You know, being seduced, I'm angry. Being uh, talked to, I'm angry. Being... So let me just change the page again. A weird way I write this. So then Beth leaves the drawing room after she's kind of thawed to Quentin and maybe agreed to visit him in his rooms. Uh, she goes out into the, into the foyer where she is accosted by Dirk Wilkins, mm-hmm. who is played by Roger Davis, who we've now seen in the show playing Peter Bradford in, eight, in the uh, 1785 section, Jeff Clark in the present period, as well as Ned Stewart in the present period. Oh, wow. So he keeps appearing in different roles in the show. And we get his usual acting style, which is to maul the actresses. So <laughs> he is grabbing Beth by both arms. He's flinging her around. He's just the... He's crazy. As an actor, I don't know how the, the women must have been complaining about him because all he does is just like paw all over them. This is ridiculous. Uh, Quentin comes out and is amused to see this, what he calls, backstairs excitement. Uh... Now, Dirk is confused to see Quentin downstairs. He said, well, I just walked past your room and I heard you in it. And Quentin's like, well, now I'm confused because I'm downstairs. Right. So he goes upstairs and finds his room in a shambles, as if someone had searched his room. Ransacked. Ransacked, indeed. He brings Barnabas to the room and accuses him. He says, well, what, what is this? What were you? Did you find what you were looking for? Uh, but Barnabas mockingly denies it, like denies it in a way that's sort of like, you know what this is. It's not me. You know, I told you what was going to happen. And of course... He doesn't believe Barnabas, basically throws him out of the room and plops down in a chair. And suddenly there's a pounding noise. A pounding noise starts as if it was the beating of a heart. <gasps> he starts to hear. Then the lights go out in his room. He goes into the other part of his rooms and the lights go out in there. He runs to the door and calls for Dirk. He says, Bring a lantern. So Dirk shows up with a lantern. And Quentin, uh, he, you know, and he, Quentin says, you know, all the lights have gone out and there's this incredible pounding noise. I don't know what's going on. And Dirk's like, what pounding noise? And of course, he can't believe that he can't hear it. And then he attempts to like, he attempts to order him around. He's like, bring, uh, you know, bring so-and-so up here and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm the groundskeeper. I'm, it's not my job to <laughs> go around and grab people. I'm not doing what you say because Roger Davis always plays like a jerk. As okay. Well. <laughs> and then Quentin grabs him, you know, and you must be hearing this noise. And, and Dirk easily throws him off and says, I am not, you know, I hear nothing and you're apparently going insane. And he leaves. Uh, moments later, Beth arrives at Quentin's door, but she's a, and she's preparing to knock when Dirk interrupts her, and she makes excuses. She says, "I was sent here by Edward," and blah blah blah. And he says, uh, "He basically says, I know that you've come under Quentin's spell, and you're really hurting my feelings with this thing." And then he takes her away from that, probably drags her off with as much mauling as possible. <laughs> Meanwhile, the haunted Quentin makes his way through the house, followed by the heartbeat. And each room he enters, the lights turn off as he goes. He goes into the coffin room where he finds an empty coffin. And then he sees his grandmother standing half revealed in the darkness, smiling at him. And then da, 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 that's where the sh- there's a commercial break there. So we come back. Uh, or maybe the show starts. Maybe that was a beginning. It doesn't matter. Uh, so we cut back to him coming back into his room. So apparently that was scary, but not so scary that he... You know, but he doesn't back, leave. Yeah, he doesn't leave the house. <laughs> he goes back to his rooms, and he sits down, and the pounding stops. And he's like so relieved, and he's tired. You know, he's been up all night with this thing, and so he falls asleep. And uh, 
So what did I say? He falls asleep. Let me just find where I stopped. Sorry, everyone. He falls asleep. Uh, there's a clock shows that it's 3.05 in the morning. And I have a feeling that apparently there's episodes where they would time the show so that if you were watching it in a certain part of the country, your time watching the show would be the same as the time oh, on the clock. Okay, that's but neat. I don't know if it would work with that because I think the show was on at 4. So I guess if they showed it at 4 o'clock or whatever, then they would, it would work that way. But anyhow, so at 3.05 in the morning, suddenly he is awakened by a crash followed by a moan, a woman's moan. And that happens twice. Then he hears his grandmother's voice saying, Quentin, Quentin. I've been loading drywall. (laughs) (laughs) I've fallen. Yes. The doorknob starts to jiggle and then the door opens and his grandmother enters and demands that he return the will. He refuses and grabs her by the throat. So she's corporeal. She's not just like a a ghostly, transparent ghost. She's a real. Get a hold of her. And he tells her that she can't leave and he's going to... that. That she can't leave and she can't take away what belongs to him. That it's not fair. He want, just wants what's what belong with what's his fair share. And he starts strangling her. And then the camera pulls back and reveals that his hands are empty, but that the corpse of his grandmother is lying in the armchair. Oh. Cut to Quentin patting down a freshly dug part of bit of soil outside, patting the you know, and he says goodbye again, grandmother. And uh, the beating begins again. And her, his grandmother's hands pokes up through the soil. Uh, in the ground, you can tell because of her bejeweled hand, and that's her. And then he wakes up, and he's in his chair, and he's all excited because it was. It's still the rooms are still a shambles, but he says he's just you know he's it was a dream. It was just a dream. Oh thank God! Hanley arrives at that moment. The lawyer comes in to conduct their business. He's come for the will, but Quentin is now having second thoughts about giving him the will. Maybe maybe we shouldn't do this whole forgery <laughs> thing. But of course, Hanley is like in. You know, he's in. He's like, and he explains to him, I was haunted. My grandmother appeared to me last night, and I was haunted. And Hanley said. Um, and he says, I'm, you know, I'm just, sus- you know, Barnum is suspicious of me. I'm think that he has something to do with this. And, and Hanley says, well, let's suggest that they conduct a black mass is basically what he says. We'll, we'll have a ceremony and we will call on the, the powers of hell. To never s- a good idea. Never a good idea. No, it's not always <laughs> a great way to start things. But they have to use Jameson as a conduit. They need his innocence in order to act as a conduit for evil. And, uh, Quentin, of course, blanches at this because he doesn't want to harm Jameson. But Hanley says, don't worry, he'll be fine. You know, he's just going to be a conduit. It won't affect him. Uh, now, how is the will going to be forged, we ask ourselves? Well, it's a limited cast. So, of course, he goes to Sandor, the Roma. And the Roma. He's trusting Roma. These, <laughs> who's going to now forge the will. They know everyone's secrets. Uh, so he's going to forge the new will. Now, as um, then Jameson arrives to bring Quentin to the funeral. But... Uh, Quentin says, no, I'm not going to go now. Because he's afraid of, you know, he doesn't want to... Get haunted. He doesn't want to get haunted. So, yeah. He's uh, this fine. I'm not going to go. So so then Hanley says, well, I have to go. Because, you know, someone, I, you know, one of us must appear at this thing. So, meanwhile, Jameson arrives. Walks in on Sandor, who's in the midst of forging the will. Uh, but he hides it all from, from Jameson. So, it's possible he didn't see it. It's possible he might have. But I don't know. He then comes to Quentin, and uh, who is very relieved to hear that his grandmother has been buried. So he comes in to tell tell Quentin that, you know, the funeral's taken place, grandmother's buried. Then Quentin invites Jameson to take a walk with him. And he tells Jameson that they will see visions of the future through this. They're going to do something. And he says, don't be scared. Might be some scary moments, but we're going to see some visions of the future. So at this point, night is falling. Hanley and Sandor are waiting in the groundskeeper's cottage, which you haven't seen before because you've never seen the show, but <laughs> we know as being Chris Jennings' cottage, the werewolf Chris Jennings. Oh, okay. Uh, oh. <laughs> so uh, Quentin and Jameson then arrive, and Hanley begins to perform the Black Mass. 
balancing a goblet on Jameson's head. And he begins calling upon all the powers of hell and blah, blah, blah. And then Jameson runs away in terror because he is experiencing this in a way that the others aren't. And then uh, Hanley sends Sandor to, to, you know, bring back Jameson. And then Quentin points to the fire and he and Hanley look and there in the fire, they see a glowing skull appear amidst the flames. And that's when we end this episode of Dork Shadows. <laughs> wow. There we go. Cool. Crazy show. Yes. Crazy stuff happening, everyone. All right. Our next thing we have to do is my Dallas recap. Okay. <laughs> this is episode three of season six. Ray Krebs. Who's Ray, who's Ray Krebs? Ray Krebs is uh, Jock Ewing's uh, illegitimate son, who's oh. the ranch hand on South Fork. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> I never watched I never watched Dallas, which certainly you did, or at least watched enough of it to know these things. Did you uh, watch it as like a, as something that you had to do because... Yeah, uh, Rob got me into it somehow. Oh, really? Your brother yeah. Robert? Yeah. And I think his wife got him into it, because prior to that, we would have just mocked it horribly. <laughs> but like a lot of those sort of serialized things, even if you mock them... I remember being homesick as a kid, and you'd watch Price is Right, then whatever came on after Price is Right, and then by the end of the week, I was saying to Mom, will you be able to watch this next week and tell me about <laughs> what happens with a guy? She's like, I'm not watching any of that. No, but I gotta know! They're gonna throw the body in the water, and they gotta know what happened! That's classic. <laughs> classic moments. Okay. All right, so that was Dark Shadows, everyone. So now we're going to move to the next... These kind of follow each other, typically, so... um. We're going to move to the next part of our show, which is li- listeners. Well, uh, listen. Well, question of the week. Excellent. And we have the sneakers' responses to these to our. Uh... Yes, I remember this from the past. You do remember this. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad. All right. Well, we had quite a few comments, but uh, just so you know, I'm going to make you read them. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so uh, th- let me just see which is the best way to to read these. Now, this might be the best way to read them. So we'll just start at the top, and we'll we'll work our way down to the bottom. If that works for you. Excellent. Uh, they've already heard me blathering on for half an hour with some stupid <laughs> soap opera from the sixties. Excellent. So, is it, do you have to say what the question was? Do you have oh, to? Oh yeah, recap? that's a good. That's a good idea. Um, here, let me just go up and I'll, I'll, I'll recap those. Just so people. It remember. looks like there's ten comments. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's quite the turnout. It is pretty good. Normally, when I'm on the show, there's like two comments. Don't beat yourself up. One of them's always me saying, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Don't comments are open up. still. All right, so. <laughs> The question of the week was, what is something good that has a terrible name? Mm. If you can think of something, you might want to add. That. Something good that has a terrible name. Yes, I'll think about that. Sure. Sub-question of the week, what's your favorite Christmas or winter song? So it could just be like a seasonal song or a Christmas song. Mm. So uh, that's my question. Because I do, I think that those are worthy uh, separations between. Interesting. Had this been a normal episode, I was going to actually say that question to you and Ian. Isn't okay. that funny? Because <laughs> I was I, we've talked about it before. I, every year I always think, because Ian always says, if there's a song and they're saying what they're doing, they're not doing what they're doing. <laughs> and he always uses rocking around the Christmas tree. You're not, you're not rocking around the Christmas tree. The fact that you're saying what you're doing means you're not doing what you're saying. <laughs> uh, mine would be uh, Silver Bells. That's your favorite. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I think it's changed over the years, but I was actually thinking of Silver Bells recently in that uh, somebody had said, what would you take if you had to go to a desert island? You can only hear one more one song for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I said, Silver Bells. And they mocked me. <laughs> I, I was going to, but I said not <laughs> You can mock it, but it's a good song. It's a, I, it's okay. I just, I'm less, I'm less into shopping songs. Ah, 
see, but remember the greed story of me. <laughs> of me? So that's uh, that's going downtown with mom and dad around Christmas time. Sure, so. sure, that does make sense. Yeah. Ah, uh, so John Halbrooks is okay. he is he a multiple time uh, commenter? I don't know. Oh. I think I think uh, I think he's started to comment more. Excellent. He was silent for a while, and now he's 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 picked up the baton. Someone maybe someone else is not going to write anymore. He says, "Hello, gentlemen." Hello. I hope that your Christmas was pleasant and free of family drama. Yes. I have brief responses to your questions, and I thought about New Year's Day as a holiday. Hmm. When I was young, my mother had a friend who was someone, as opposed to something, (laughs) good, but a terrible name. She was a lovely person whose last name was, unfortunately, Griesditch. (laughs) Yep. A German name with somewhat unsavory connotations in English. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I, yes yes i can see where that could go i can see where that would go despite being a committed feminist she gladly changed her name when she married <laughs> to dedrick <laughs> no more mockery <laughs> no more mockery at all i'm dedrick there you go you know what another uh, name is not good it, well, wesley snipes now Ooh. whether or not wesley snipes is any good that's up to you <laughs> I, I added that that's not john that was me throwing that in there uh, back to John. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite Christmas song, the original, and I hope that I'm saying this right, the Praetorius harmonization of "Low How a Rose Air Blooming." Mm. That's a that's a that is a good Christmas carol. I do like that one, which compares. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of a very northern Christmas carol though, because it it talks about the winter and Christ as the rose mm. who blooms through it in the cold and through you know. So the idea of Christ is this. Not just a light, but also as this beautiful flower blooming at, at, at wintertime, you know. Interesting. I don't think I've ever heard it, let alone the original Praetorius we, harmonization. The Praetorius harmonization? Yeah. I, don't, I think that's sung by the Praetorian Guard, who, of course, guarded Caesar, famously guarded Caesar, the Swiss Praetorian Guard. Caesar! <laughs> also, says yes. John, I love the Nutcracker and never tire of it. Mm. It's not Tchaikovsky's fault that it's overplayed. It is Tchaikovsky's fault. It is. Oh, totally. Yeah, Tchaikovsky. His, his, uh, the payola he was involved with. Exactly. At the time. <laughs> Questionable business acumen of Tchaikovsky. <laughs> Russian bastard. <laughs> and Dmitry Fried to... Uh... <laughs> he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. Uh, I agree with Seinfeld that New Year's is an overrated holiday. Now, this is probably referring to Jerry Seinfeld saying that New Year's gigs are the worst gigs. Nobody wants to be there. Not you... Fred Seinfeld. <laughs> oh, Fred Seinfeld, the local realtor. <laughs> I think he called it a one-second holiday. I can see that. I, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of, of New Year's myself. I, I do like getting together with people. And I think if, if you're using it as an excuse for get-togethers, mm-hmm. then I'm all for it. That's been my favorite thing about the pandemic is I have not had to get together with anybody. <laughs> you don't like getting together with people? No, not anymore. uh uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying this, though. This is nice. I'm well, my heart's broken. Well, it's, uh, you'll get over it. <laughs> Think of some of that Tchaikovsky money that you're going to get a hold of for mentioning him on the podcast. Seinfeld, he says he thinks he called it a one-second holiday. Oh. As an academic, in any case, I don't consider January 1st the beginning of the year, but rather a movable date in late August, just <laughs> as the year ends in mid-May. <laughs> there you go. The time in between, May to early August, is known as the season of feeling guilty for not getting enough research and writing done. <laughs> but anyway, Happy New Year, John. Thank you, John. That's great. I love the... Uh, that. That's true. I do I do think that we 
consciously or unconsciously have like a a feeling of what our year is mm-hmm. you know uh, I forget if I I think I mentioned this last year because I was trying to make Christmas kind of special last year I had taken a book out of the library called Merry Midwinter okay and it makes you look at the year a little bit differently mm-hmm. and I mean there's been a million uh, societies movies? Oh, okay. <laughs> Hallmark movies uh, <laughs> cultures society yeah. that choose to when the day the year starts yeah 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 and uh, I I think I do agree that the January first year start is a miserable way to start a year <laughs> however maybe a January sixth whatever that holiday that epiphany kind of a thing but also it was shortly thereafter that you had to get back to work right Mm, you had to start preparing stuff yeah i think at one point april 1st was the start of the year in england oh really yeah Hmm. and i think that november 1st dish was also a start of a year at some point and that's why all hallows eve and stuff was yeah yeah that makes sense that makes sense so yeah i mean there's a million ways to start a year i start them all wrong (laughs) <laughs> P.S. says oh. John. Oh, John is <laughs> not right. done yet. Yeah, no, we got another, misled got us another small misled one us. here. Okay. One more excellent Christmas song, or rather post-Christmas song, mm. is Elvis Costello's St. Stephen's Day Murders. Oh, I don't know that one. Just remember that one. Head. And it seems it may be up your alley, but your alley is closed, apparently. Yeah, I have to, I'll have to go and see if I can find it. Yes. Elvis Costello. Famous uh, Elvis. Other famous Elvises. <laughs> the other famous, uh, famous Elvis. <laughs> Elvis, and other famous El- Costello. Elvis Stoico and Elvis Costello. Those are the two famous Elvis, <laughs> it's obviously. Right. Louise Moon. Louise. Good to hear from Louise. Uh, she has, says that she likes the surreal imagery of, do you hear what I hear? Hmm. I never thought of it as surreal, but okay. Well, you got to do a lot of drugs. <laughs> like Louise. <laughs> uh, do you hear what I hear? Surreal imagery. Yeah, I never really thought of it either as, as surreal, but mm. now I will listen to it accordingly. I guess because it's like someone talking to a lamb and all that stuff. But I mean, I talk to my dogs all the time, or I talk to my chickens. You know, I'm always talking to animals. Well, you're a surrealist. <laughs> I guess I am a surrealist. I didn't realize it. <laughs> Me and Andre Breton. <laughs> she says, the night wind speaks to the little lamb. Mm-hmm. A star has a voice as big as the sea. The song has many covers, but I'm fond of the 1963 Bing Crosby version. Okay. In that arrangement, the orchestration and choral backup singing start off simply, then they get more elaborate as the lamb speaks to the shepherd boy, who speaks to the mighty king, who speaks to the people. Yeah. That sounds... Uh, I, like, I like music that builds, as, as listening party listeners know. I think I would agree with that as well. Yeah. To a point. <laughs> well, you're not going to go all the way. <laughs> doesn't want to be led by me anymore. <laughs> That's right. Tired like, of your, tired of your advice, Dedrick. I like it when they peter out, too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the song was written in response to the Cuban Missile Crisis, hmm. which is why the king says, pray for peace, people everywhere. Yeah. Unlike Tchaikovsky, who said, pay for this peace. <laughs> pay for this peace, people, <laughs> people everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> Another favorite is, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Love it. A few years ago, a music therapy charity had a fundraiser called Covers for a Cause. What about Covers for a Clause? <laughs> And it's nothing but Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> yes. The contractual, the contractual <laughs> obligation to charity. I do like Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. I always like the version that they had on that Muppet John Denver thing. I don't remember that. Rolf sang it. <laughs> for a donation, Tom an Waits. artist... Tom Waits, you mean. <laughs> for a donation, an artist would record a song of your choice. A local singer my sister and I know was participating. We couldn't think of a pop song we both liked, so we asked for a smooth jazz version of Merry Little Christmas. So we could play it every year. Mm. When the pandemic hit, remember the pandemic? <laughs> the recording took on a whole new meaning. You mean the pandemic? <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> for the past two Christmases, our extended family dinner went from nine to just the three of us. But we were fortunate that faithful friends who were dear to us did gather near to us, as far as our front door, to drop off cookies and treats <laughs> with everyone fully masked. We did. We did. Lisa and I did come to their Louise's house this year and drop off some cookies and treats. So. That's very nice. And you wore a mask. We did wear masks, yes. Not masked at the moment. I, would wear, I, I look like Rolf. And I sing, <laughs> have yourself a merry, a little, merry Christmas. little Christmas. Yeah. Mm, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. That's, that is my favorite Christmas song as well. And, uh, really? Not I, uh, I love in the, the movie. mid-bleak winter? <laughs> I, love, I do. In the bleak winter, it's really up there. No, I just love that movie. I love Meet Me in St. Louis. It's one of my favorite films. And, mm. uh, yeah, Which is not a Christmas film. It's a, it's a film of a year of a family's life. So. Judy Garland and Van Johnson? Van Johnson? Or is that the shop around the corner? I think you're thinking shop around the corner, yeah. Or is that or, uh, oh, the good old summertime? Is actually old... <laughs> is the name of that one? It's a it's based on the shop around the corner, which was Jimmy Stewart, <laughs> which is Jimmy Stewart and and or Marina Sullivan, and then they did the the remake with Judy Garland and Van Sullivan is, is in the good old summertime. But Mimi and in in St. Louis is entirely itself a movie. It's not based on anything else. It's just it's a family. Their dad's going to get transferred to New York, and so the family is living out this last year of their lives in. in in the so the social parts of it, a kind of a upper middle class family. That in, with clang 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 went the trolley. Is in it, yes. There we go. Yeah, it's a really great movie. Another mispronunciation story. Does she have many of these, or was this referring to the show? She says another mispronunciation story. Okay. As a little kid, when I sang Silent Night, I thought the words were round young virgin. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, just reading it here, I was trying to think what was wrong with that. But, of course, it's not around young version. Anyway. Oh, but we said the secret word. Louise, you win a $10 gift certificate to the keg. Lucky you. Yes, it's good enough to have free bread and butter with. Even after I learned it was yawn virgin, I still yeah. mistook round for the adjective, <laughs> not the preposition meaning around. I assumed yawn virgin was round because she was going to have a baby. Yeah, it's all logical. Yes, but why was she yawning? <laughs> have you ever been in Bethlehem during the holidays? <laughs> My God. <laughs> a terrible word for something good. Is that term for a pleasurable activity that one does on one's own? I won't use it in this comment. As a preschool children's writer, the thought of it turning up in a search next to my name causes me great perturbation. <laughs> what a word it could be. It's well, a misery. Well, let's leave it lying there. That is a I'll, bad word. I'll leave that in your hands, Louise. Yes. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, Matt Phillips writes... Matt, hello. Hearing the word advocate... Mm -hmm. This is from last episode. We were talking about the drink advocate, right? Which was compared to us something that a kind of the only only thing people could think of in that lived in Europe that was close to eggnog. I guess so, and I always confuse it with the other one, aquavit, which is aquavit, the, the clear one. But this yeah. is the yellowy egg one, I think. I guess this is, this is an egg based. Yes, it always reminds uh, Matt Phillips of the Dutch football. Soccer, he has in brackets. Thank you for being that clear to us ignorant savages here in North America. <laughs> Dutch football coach Dick Advocat. <laughs> Incidentally, Dick Advocat is also a word for uh, something that I would rather not mention. As a preschool children's <laughs> preschool writer. Yeah, yeah. But I am, a, I am a strong Dick Advocat. 
It's also the worst drink I've ever tasted. <laughs> there you go, Matt. I'm sorry, I jumped all over your joke. That's, that's what you get when you get a Dedrick to read your jokes. <laughs> that happens with Ian as well. Ian's always, Ian's always anticipating people's jokes and spooling them all, so it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> the tradition continues. The tradition continues on, yes. Uh, next up, we have uh, Edward Dragansky. Nice. And he has a, a lengthy one here, so uh, hopefully I don't screw up any of Edward's jokes. <laughs> Time to wish everyone a happy new year now with Christmas over and done with. Let's hope 2022 will be a healthy and promising year for all. Yeah, I'm heading into it with back troubles. <laughs> you ever do Epsom salts? Uh, no. Is that related to Epsom Downs? It is. It's uh, all your pantomime <laughs> characters. <laughs> I've had many ups and downs in my life, but anyway. Uh, that's uh, a, a, a wacky thing that actually, I think, works. Okay. Get yourself some Epsom salts and sit in a hot bath. Okay. When we have a bath up again, I'll do that. There you go. <laughs> I see a cooler. <laughs> Something good that has a terrible name. Mm. Uh, most German food, which is delicious, but sounds like an insult when ordering it. <laughs> All right. Cheese curds, which sound either like turds or cheese that has been curdled. Yeah which I think really is the case here. They are yummy, and I get them from a burger chain called Culver's. The hmm. Culver's chain was originated in Wisconsin, where all the cheeseheads live, so they're serious about their cheese curds and cheeseburgers. I've eaten so many of these cheese curds, you have to board my ass up to keep the rats out. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice selling the joke there. <laughs> it's interesting, it used to be hard to find cheese curds. Now it's not so hard. No, but... no, it's little squeakers. We have them here as little squeakers. Yeah, yeah. It used to be really hard, because if you wanted to make poutine, you really had to search high and low for, for <laughs> uh, cheese curds for it. Interesting. I've, uh, anytime I eat a lot of cheese, uh, my ass boards itself up. <laughs> <laughs> the rats don't get a, don't get a sniff for uh, internal reasons. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Uh, right. I should tell my strata thing here, though, that uh, if we got some cheese curds, yeah. the rats would fo follow Edward over to his neck of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> cornhole yes and everyone laughs when you suggest playing this game yeah it's the two boards set about 25 feet apart with a six inch hole in each board teams of two take turns tossing bean bags to the opposite board and hopefully into the hole for points it's fun and addictive but who in their right mind <laughs> named this game cornhole yeah wow it does feel like i don't know which came first is one of those kind of questions and did they actually use corn at one point mm, that's possible too Whenever our family made the trip from Dallas to Chicago in the summer, we passed a huge ball bearing factory called Fag Bearings. Mm. Yeah. It wasn't an acronym either. Just the name that caught our attention. Yeah. I'm wondering if this factory ever thought of changing their name using a less offensive word. Nothing wrong with bearings. No, it's fine. I just Googled it to find a handful of terrible reviews, so maybe this place isn't a good thing with a bad <laughs> <laughs> with a bad name. <laughs> anyway, it also looks like they changed their name to the Scheffler Group anyway. So uh. just to edit this all out, <laughs> put in a windshield wiper instead. <laughs> he says, Dave, you're rocking it again with the Christmas songs. Oh, thank you. Five new-to-me songs of cheer and merriment. Well done, sir. I'll have to collect them and add them to last year's listening party playlist for the holidays. Hmm, cool. I do have a few favorite Christmas songs in mind. Uh, a Joy, which is a 1971 instrumental by Apollo 100. See, that's funny. I'm glad you said that, Ed, because I've, uh, I, we, I had that song 
I didn't have it, but a friend of mine had it on a on a KTEL collection when I was a kid. <laughs> it was a big hit at the t- at that time, right? In that year, and so it was on a KTEL collection. I'm not too sure which one. And I've always wondered who. I always thought it was um, the Partridge Family, and maybe I just misread the credits on the, on the on the sleeve of the of this album. So Apollo 100, thank you for that. Now I know. It is a contemporary it rendition of a 1723 composition by Johann Sebastian Bach. Yeah, Jesu, Joy of Man's Desire. That's, That's what right. he says. Kishing! Yeah, some <laughs> money there for the Tchaikovsky Foundation. <laughs> My late friend Sean turned me on to this years ago during the holidays, included it on a tape he gave me. Hmm. I think I mentioned this tape many episodes ago called Christmas in Sean's Ears, which I treasure dearly. Hmm. Ever since then, I hear it occasionally, most notably on the Boogie Night soundtrack. And he's got a YouTube clip to it here. I will uh, include people's clips on the uh, web on the web page for the for this episode. So, the other Christmas song I never tire of is from Tchaikovsky's mm. "The Nutcracker." <laughs> it's the Russian dance trepak trepak trepak. I don't know. I don't know the Russian dance. Uh, this music is used so widely throughout the holiday season in Christmas movie trailers, and as a furious background to evoke holiday chaos. (laughs) I still love it, and it puts me in the holiday mood every year, Hmm. especially when shopping. The faster it's played, the better. There you go. Yeah. We used to go see the Nutcracker every year. We haven't for a while. When the girls were younger, we would go, but... I remember, you know, Seattle... I think tradition stopped, too, actually. I don't think they come to town anymore to do the Nutcracker. Maybe not. Uh, Seattle always had their big Nutcracker thing, and That's they would right. always show those ads at Christmas time, and they mm-hmm. always kind of freaked me out. And so I've never seen the Nutcracker, like because of the Rat King and all that. Stuff? I think the Rat King, and I think the big Nutcracker head itself looked kind of off-putting. Yeah, yeah, especially the one designed by um, that artist Morris Sendak. He did a version of Nutcracker where the oh. Nutcracker looked really kind of weird. I can imagine everything that guy did looked really <laughs> weird. So it's kind of curious, but yeah, no, it more was... credit than he deserves. That's me coming down several years later on Mr. Sendak. When our... Send back. That's what I would have done. <laughs> one of our <laughs> favorite family stories is uh, one year the girls went without me. I didn't go to the the because on a weekend and I couldn't make it. I was working, and um, but at that time I was having a real mouse problem here in the shop. Mm. M- mice had got in, and you know it turns out they poop every centimeter of movement there's a little poo comes out of them so i just every part of this shop was covered in mouse poo wow and seems impractical for them <laughs> yes yeah i don't know whether metabolism would be crazy <laughs> or there were so many of them that it was just like dotted everywhere <laughs> that could be and so i started this like at first i just started feeding them like the poison mm-hmm. but that wasn't enough for me because it's very slow you know it slowly thins their blood till they die oh is that time. right yeah. okay but that's too slow. I, it wasn't pleasing enough. So I, ha- I started getting mouse traps. Right. Like inhumane mouse traps. Like just murdering most m- mice left and right. And it was a real pleasure to me when I would come into the shop and find mice in the traps because that meant I was getting rid of this problem. And I would come into the house and report on my progress, you know. And so during the show, there's that scene where the Nutcracker fires the cannon into the, into the, the rat army. And so that happened in the show. And Eve turned to Lisa and said, oh, dad would have loved this part. <laughs> <laughs> the more dead vermin, the better. <laughs> he says, I also like You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. So much I had a, a playlist of every cover of it I could find, but the original Thurl Ravenscroft version is still the best. Yep. Hard to go against Thurl, you're right. Uncredited, but there you go. Time to put all the Christmas music away and focus on the upcoming New Year. Let's all keep one another company and in good cheer as we enter 2022. Good health and joy to the entire Sneaky Dragonverse. Thank you, Ed. 
Next up, we have Chris Roberts, who writes, Have yourself a merry little Christmas, as featured in Meet Me in St. Louis, also gets my vote for favorite Christmas song. Beautiful melody and poignant lyrics that mm -hmm. reflect on present hardships, but look ahead with hope and anticipate happier times to come. I'm with you, Chris. There's a great recording of this song on the album Oh Crap, It's Christmas by Debbie Davis and Matt Perrine. Okay. Or Perrine. For the or more Perrine. <laughs> yes. For the more spiritually inclined, they also do a fantastic old-timey foot-stomping rendition of The Holy Baby, sort of in the style of Mahalia Jackson. Hey, I'm an atheist, but this even gets me going. <laughs> I'll leave a link here. Thank you. Happy New Year to sneakers and dragons everywhere. Thanks, Chris. I don't know what the Holy Baby uh, song. No, I don't know it either. Huh. Don't know it either. Fantastic old-timey foot-stomping rendition. Interesting. Cool. Peter Ayers? 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 Let's say Ayers. A-Y-R-E-S. Let's err on the side of caution. Just call him Peter. <laughs> Petey. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You're getting familiar. <laughs> Writes, uh, briefly chipping in with two Christmas songs. Favorite, with, with two favorite Christmas songs. Yes. On the obscure vintage side, Cowboy Santa Claus by Bill Lacey and the Ebonairs. Don't know it. That is not a great name, though. <laughs> uh, which one? Cowboy Santa Claus or Bill Lacey and the Ebonairs? Yeah. There are a few songs with the same name, but none have the charm of this jaunty little toe-tapper. Hmm. Uh, I have an awful Christmas song on a John Denver album called Please Daddy Don't Get Drunk This Christmas. Ooh, what? Yeah. That's a weird... I mean, maybe it's... You know what it's about? <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's in the title. <laughs> Please Daddy... I thought it was... I thought you were going to tell me there's a bit of a twist on it, but apparently not. There is no twist. It's no a bunch twist. of okay Christmas songs done by John Denver, Rocky Mountain Christmas, and mm. then one about Please Daddy Don't Get Drunk This Christmas. I Don't Want to See My Mama Cry. Yeah. Please, Daddy, don't get drunk this Christmas. Uh, I don't want to see my... You can't rhyme cry and cry, can you? <laughs> Guess he did. Of the classic... It's a rhyme crime. Ooh. I glad, I'm glad that you uh, said his, it was okay, because that pretty much sums up his career right there. It's okay songs. <laughs> John Denver. John Denver. Okay songs. <laughs> of the classic Christmas pop songs, Santa Baby stands out for its delicious rhyming couplets. Ah, great song. And their lip-smacking delivery by Eartha Kitt. <laughs> Less known but equally delightful is the follow-up, This Year's Santa Baby. Oh, I don't know that one. I think it's very similar. I was doing some research, and maybe Peter, P.D. Uh, <laughs> Ayers. As you know him. Maybe knows this answer, because now I feel like I'm, I'm imagining it. Because okay. I, too, enjoy the song Santa Baby. It's All great. Right. That's and when imagination. I was, when I was trying to do some research on it, yep. trying to find out what I'm going to ask you next, <laughs> I found out that there was like this sequel song, which I think is the same song, but with different lyrics. Uh -huh. It wasn't like, uh, this year's Santa baby, I'm going to want something else. Was, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure that there is a version of the song where when the bum, bum, backup guys yeah, yeah. do that, that they do a little bit of... Um, Oh, really? Yes, but now I can't find it anywhere. I cannot oh, I find it. I've never heard it. Am I imagining it? It's possible. Because I don't know how they bump bump in the song now because I, I, I bump bumped it. <laughs> but next time you hear it, imagine them going. That seems, that seems weird that they would. My... Yeah, it seems weird that they have like this very sexualized Santa song, but a gold digger. 
uh, with with the Christmas Carol in this. <laughs> oh, what the hell? Yeah, God bless Gmail. Oh, another, and then and then Peter sent a uh, YouTube clip, oh. probably for this year's Santa Baby. Okay, and okay. then he came in again. Is it almost forgot? Oh well. The most Christmassy song ever mm-hmm. is the Icelandic Carol I found on CD in Longsight, Manchester, home of the Stone Roses. Oh wow! I have a feeling he Danny found, Elfman he found some fool's gold. <laughs> I have a feeling Danny Elfman might have heard this before writing the Edward Scissorhands score. The version I first heard made my hair stand on end. Wow. Magical. And he's got a clip here of that. All right. Well, we will include all these clips on this episode. So you can, if you want to go to the website, stinkydragon.com, you will find them all there. And you can hear everyone's favorite Christmas songs. And you can do this on New Year's Day, of course. So Yes. Be good. And we have one more comment from Joseph M. Boylan. He's the chairman of the board of the... Uh... <laughs> what? What is it? <laughs> the no. boy, the Boylan Mad Company? <laughs> yeah, they're repre- reprinting Mad Magazine. <laughs> the Boylan Mad Company. Good for them. Someone should do it. Something great with a terrible name? Hmm. Ding Dongs. You really think that's a terrible name? I don't think it's that bad a name. I think it's pretty good. I mean, I do I do use Ding Dong as an insult quite often. So yes, and it does not apply at all to chocolate... Uh, but yeah. white cream. What do we call them here? Like Joe Louis or something like that? Joe Louis? Uh, I've never been able to figure out that out. Once they got rid of King Ding Dong back in the days, I was <laughs> King, like... Oh, King Dons, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, then they called them, yeah, King Dons. Yeah, which is weird. Yeah. And then, then they called them Don Kings. <laughs> Did they really? And then they called them Don King Coles. And them. then Nat King Coles. Then they had Don King Cons. <laughs> Those were the big ones. That was, a, but that was, it turned out that was like a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, because they were really just marketing Don King Kong Juniors. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the original small version again with a new packaging. Sure. <laughs> Favorite Christmas song? Hawksley Workman's Merry Christmas, comma, I Love You. Oh, that's a popular song amongst, uh, I think that's a favorite song of Nina's. Yeah. And that's all Joseph. Joseph came in uh, short and sweet at the end here. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. All right. He wrote that uh, December 30th, which is today at 5.06, which is minutes ago. Isn't it? What time is it? 5.55. Wow. He got in under the wire got on in that under one. The wire. Nice, nice work. Nice work. Uh, yeah, he wrote a, a fun article about Get Back that I enjoyed quite a bit. I recommend if you go back to a short... Hoxley Workman? No, uh, Joseph. Oh, okay. Yeah. On a previous comment, you mean? Yeah, he had a... What? Well, yeah. Okay, I'll Actually, check it out. You know what? I bet you if I pressed on his name... I'll, it'll Something me, happens to him? It'll take me there. He giggles? <laughs> there we go. It goes, goes to his, uh, his, his blog. Oh, cool. All right. Well, I, I'll look into it in case he's unless he totally disagrees with me, in which case I'll stop reading immediately. Then, then you got to find it, find it from there. Okay, so I'm just going to pop out of here. I'm going to go back to our mail because we have a few. We have an email to read, and I'm going to read the email. And you've you have done so much. Oh, wow. unless unless you want to read the email. Whatever it's your show, dude. I'm just here living in your world, man. <laughs> it's Frank Sinatra's world. I'm just living in it. No, yeah, that seems like a suitable thing that you would do that and then uh, and then wrap it up. Not that I want to go, but I need to go. It's getting late. It's dark. You have to drive me home. <laughs> but not before I do a song. Ding dong. It sounds awful, but it's tasty. It's filled with white cream on the inside. So naturally, you'd call it a ding dong. <laughs> ding dong. The witch is dead. Which old witch? The wicked witch. Ding dong, the Wicked Witch is dead. Oh my gosh, this has gone on far too long. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just looking at a weird email I got here. Oops. It's a question on SneakyDragon.com, it says, and then it's but it has nothing in the body of it. At first, I sort of ignored it, 
But now I'm kind of wondering, is it an actual email? But it, there's nothing in the in the que- in the question. Oh, this so. seems like one of them urban legend things. Yeah, it's a, yeah. possibly an urban legend. You're gonna wake up, not in your bathtub full of ice, but just in your bird bath full of ice. Move over, chickens. Yeah, I'm probably just one of those things telling me that I don't run the website very well, and they could do a better job of it for me. Oh, I get those too from my short-lived, long-lasting podcast. Yeah. Uh, Why do you call it short-lived? Still going on, isn't it? It sort of is still going on. We taped another episode. Oh, you did? Yes. But I have yet to put it up. Because your last one was June? July 22nd, somewhere around there? Yeah, something like that. And so then we did another one, recorded it in uh, either October or November. Yeah. And uh, I have not uh, You talked a lot about Picard in your last episode. Did we really? Yeah. You talked an awful lot about the TV show Picard. Wow. Uh, That sounds likely. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I had like a long, a long... And I I didn't watch that show because... Star, Star Trek related. Right. But now you no you have since seen it and are ready to... <laughs> no, I'm not. I did not bother. But I did watch... I, I thought that you would have watched the first episode of The Book of Boba Fett. I would have watched the first episode of The Book of oh, Boba okay. Fett. But there was other people in the room that would have made a bunch of noises. Oh, okay. And so I have not yet watched the first right. episode. I, I watched it today. I just, I just watched it because I thought you might... Yes. I wasn't going to bother... But then I thought, well, maybe... Oh, maybe well, now I feel like I've disappointed you, because quite often I come on already to talk Star Wars, yeah, yeah, and you yeah. guys say, we can't talk about it, because we're doing a special thing. And so I did not watch the book of Boba so Fett. So I was curious, because well, I'll just say one thing about it, which is that I just find it so funny in um, in the Star Wars like universe, that whenever they like take off someone's helmet, they just reveal that they're a potato head. <laughs> it's weird. Oh, yeah. Well, I have a million other... <laughs> Made other thoughts? <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I don't have well, them the now. It was such a disappointing one. I, when I was a teenager and I saw Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. and they they take off Darth Vader's mask, which, by the way, is the coolest costume and the greatest mask of all time. Right. When you saw that as a kid, it was so scary and so great. And then they take it off of him, and it's just like a Humpty Dumpty <laughs> underneath the mask. You're like, well, hmm, shrug. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. And I don't know if there was any way that you could have revealed. I mean, I don't know what they could have taken off the mask to show you that yeah. would have been any better than Humpty <laughs> Humpty Dumpty. But yeah, yeah it's uh, somehow you you needed to have the mask come off. I feel yeah. story wise. But what do you see? Maybe you don't show the face. Maybe you show the the point of view looking back up at Luke and Luke reacting to the face, and you never see the face. Maybe yeah. that was. But to have that poor guy and then have people dump on him. <laughs> For the next forty years, say, so, "Hey, I was a gig." They took me out of the, <laughs> the whatever I was in, <laughs> whatever Got I was in. Money. Got a bit of money. All Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky. Some Tchaikovsky money. <laughs> Lucky guy. All right, I'm gonna take off my. Well, you know what? I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna get you. Re- make you. Re- no, I'm gonna read these ones because it's kind of confusing. Okay. This is from Re- Regis. Not that Regis is confusing. Just the next letter has some stuff that I'm gonna read and I'm not gonna read and blah blah blah. Oh, okay. But Regis, the subject of this is go ahead, read my letter. Mm, defiant challenge. So I'll just explain to you, an ignorant savage, that Regis is uh, from France. Mm, très bien. So I probably our only French listener. Ah, that was, that was, Petra. That's what, that's what makes him so great. <laughs> Petra. Insul, <laughs> whatever it is. D'accord. <laughs> Glad you agree. Uh, he says, hey, now that we've only got one podcast from Sneaky Dragon Productions left, and that I finished all of my Wire podcasts, and the ones still running are running quite low, I was in search of a new podcast to fill the silence between sneaky episodes. I got There's Nothing Like a Fish, which is quite funny, but too scripted for a seemingly casual podcast with too many ads. That is a bad recipe right there for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds awful. Yes. Like, I, you know, you know 
This show, you've been on this show before. Have Sneaky I? Dragon. Oh, yes, that's right. I was on the You other. know how carefully we plan it. Exactly. Like how many emails I send back and forth between all of us outlining each episode and what we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how it's going to tie into the backstory. <laughs> Have I got my backstory straight? Usually I usually I write Jason three days before I want him on the show. Hey, can you come on the show? I know it's a late notice. And he needs me here so I can remind him of his aunt's name. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. Come on. It has been a while. I, you know, things move through my brain. I, I don't have a memory. You know, my memory is like boxcars. You know, and the boxcars get pushed along the track and then other boxcars are there. Uh, he says, so as you constantly mention, Sir Bapton, the guy who won something or did a duet or something else and once and uh, wanted your participation in his minute podcast, The Dirty Larry or Barry, so I gave it a try. It's a fraud. Its duration is quite longer than a minute. You can trust me. I watched it. I mean, I timed it several times. None of them had the same length. All I know is that it's never 60 seconds, and according to the title, it should have been done in 60 seconds. It's called Dirty, Dirty Harry Minute. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. My bad. In fact, it's each minute of Dirty Harry's first movie. Okay, 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 I get it. I really should be more focused and less distracted, maybe by paying more attention? And it's quite good. In fact, when you get around the misleading title, should be minutes at least, in my defense, I started with the episode... Uh, I started, sorry, sorry, I started with the episode with the bits from everybody and Dave because it's the one you linked and I did not quite follow the principle. So I really did get, I really did not get the meaning until the second episode. For real. Silly me. Anyway, they are lucky punks because films are measured in whole minutes. This one is 102. Imagine if its running time had been 101 minutes, 45 seconds and, uh, and sorry, then he says and 90 inches. It would have ruined the entire concept. Good to hear some critics and views about our preferred vigilante, Dirty Henry, as we call it, or Les Nuls did in a spoof in which Dirty Henry, hardly holding a very, very, very big gun, says, this is the most powerful blower of all creation, the Magnum 747. One of its bullets can stop the charge of a bulldozer herd. And he sent a link to that sketch, so... Is it in French? I wonder. Mm. Since then, the vigilante and the serial killer have become a real thing, with all the superhero stuff peaking with the boys where vigilantes fight vigilantes, and the return of Dexter, the perfect mashup between Harry and Scorpio, serial killer and vigilante are the other way round. And the songs are really, really good. Good advice, thanks. Hats off to Mr. Bampton and his fellow podcasters. But remember, it's better to be sneaky once than dirty twice. Mm. I don't know if that's true, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> uh, Brent... Tannehill wrote, and he said, uh, sundry items not necessarily to read on the podcast. But I'll just kind of go around some of the things that he, uh, because he asked, he offered some questions to ask, saying that he felt like, uh, hey guys, it seems to me that your questions of the week are almost an afterthought on every episode. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Astute. Yeah. Astute <laughs> observation. <laughs> you that, in case you didn't know, the entire episode is an afterthought, everyone. I think the only thing is, the things that I plan, like, you know, the, uh, Dark shadows, Dark shadows. <laughs> and uh, the 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 top five things, you know. But other than that, the shows the shows are completely unplanned. We never discuss anything we're going to talk about. Jason can attest to that, right, Jason? I can attest to that. The shambles, <laughs> <laughs> so carefully edited afterwards. So many hours spent editing. Um, but uh, he offers some questions for us to to use. So, but then in the bottom, bottom, he says, "This morning I listened to the Al Franken podcast, and he and David Letterman talked about the Late Show." 
Bob and Ray, Steve Allen, Martin Short, and the cast of Saturday Night Live. I think that both of you would enjoy this episode. I would, and I'm now going to listen to it. Yes, I would enjoy it too, and he didn't even know that I was going to be here. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. I'm currently reading a book about Bob and Ray that I found at the Rummage Room in Twisp, near where I live. I guess this is Twisp, Washington. He lives, uh, Brent, lives in Winthrop, Washington, which is... In the northeast corner, I believe, of Washington Yes, is Winthrop State. the... What do I know about Winthrop? Oh, I know something about Winthrop and it's gone out my head. Sorry! <laughs> nice, nice to introduce that. <laughs> yes, I thought I'd take time out of your busy schedule to tell you nothing about your hometown. <laughs> that you live in and probably know about already. It's a new way that Bob and Ray, keener than most persons, is the name of this book. It's very interesting, and I think Dave would find it interesting as i do find most things interesting carry on and do good things from brent thank you brent cool thank and we'll uh, keep brent's questions on file for perf- we possible uh, we might usage. include one of them yes. in this episode like, do you have a question that you'd like to uh, no i do not as a question of the week oh, i didn't know God. i was supposed to plan <laughs> you're not supposed to plan just uh, let me just think then um we got to make it good it can't be like well, what is your new year's resolution oh that's a good one <laughs> Well, by all means. Okay, how about this one? <laughs> what is the New Year's resolution you made but uh, disastrously failed at keeping? Or what is one that you made and actually kept? Okay, because that's good. I, I have one. Okay, sure, I'll, I'll get the ball rolling. Sure, you get the ball rolling. I went because they're so hard to keep. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, a, a weak individual like myself. <laughs> yes. Yes. If you're of the Dedrick gene. Yeah. Had you told me, I probably would have followed through. <laughs> but you didn't assign me anything. No, I didn't assign you anything. And so I said to myself one year, uh, this was in the 80s. I said, you know what? I'm going to go a whole year and I'm not going to say the word xylophone. <laughs> and you did it. I did it. Amazing. And it was tough. Was it really tough? Because uh, in my... Uh, comedic world yeah. in mind yeah. the xylophone does come up a couple of times alright alright and I went and I went oh no I can't <laughs> people looked at me and I said I'm sorry I have a new resolution. resolution to not say a particular word yep wow xylophone you all start right. small and then you work up to quitting smoking and uh, yeah, changing yeah. your have lifestyle you quit, have you quit smoking I've quit smoking xylophones <laughs> very good <laughs> Very good. I only smoke bacon now. All right. Let me choose one from... Uh, I'll just take the first one from Brent's list here. Okay. And now, is this really the question? That's the question, yeah. The re- the resolution one? Yeah. Okay. Well, that'll, that sparks uh, controversy. Yeah, that's what I want. Discussion. I just want people to write in. That's right. Interact. So here's the next one. This, this will is, be for the next episode. This is... Well, this, we usually have a sub-question. So we have oh. a question of the week and then we'll have a sub-question. Oh, of course. Because the last one was the song and also was something good that sounds bad or bad. Yeah. Or good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Brent says, soon, if not already, we will have the technology to make new movies with old actors who have been dead for years. What are some other remakes of classic movies using dead actors you'd like to see? For example, Humphrey Bogart playing the lead in Raiders of the Lost Ark, or the Marx Brothers playing the gang in Ghostbusters. So there you go, everyone. So uh, put your minds to that question and answer it in the following way. You know what? We have a website. It's called SneakyDragon.com. If you go there, you will find this episode posted, and underneath it, you can leave comments. And that's where you can leave the answers to those questions. Or if you are a private individual like Brent or like to send emails, particularly for me, like Regis, or are like Leanne, I like to send me <laughs> nagging things telling me that I'm not running my website properly. You can go to <laughs> sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. That is our email address, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com and leave us questions there. Uh, we haven't talked about it for a little while, but we do have a snail mail address. If you want to know that address, I won't say it here, but if you go to the website, if you click on the contact us, Submenu, you will find there uh, all the ways to contact us, including our uh, postal address. Um, you can go to Twitter at sneaky underscore dragon, 
you can go to Facebook. It's Sneaky Dragon at Facebook. We have a page there. You can leave some comments, questions, hilarious little things that I that I will enjoy. Um, What's your Telegram handle? Our Telegram know? handle. <laughs> telegram handle is stop <laughs> doing Sneaky Dragon. Stop. Please stop. Oh God, please stop. That is our Telegram handle. But if you only have the telegraph sound, how does that sound? <laughs> Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Dateline Tokyo. Um, so, Jason. Yes, sir. I think we're going to wrap up. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I'm so sad that Ian couldn't be here. I am sad too. I, I know. I think he's, this is probably going to be one of the only episodes he listens to of Sneaky Dragon. Well, I hope he does. He wasn't on it, so <laughs> I hope, hope he hope he enjoyed it. Ian, my friend, get well soon. I hope you're feeling better. Yes. Sneakers. Hope you're feeling better too. Hope you're feeling better too. Hope, hope your Christmases were great, and I hope you have a great year. This is the first Sneaky Dragon of the new year. This is the first Sneaky Dragon of 2022. The year that has all the answers. That's right. The one where we get it right. Exactly. This is <laughs> this is the one. Finally. So I hope you guys have a great year. I hope you make reasonable resolutions that are easy to follow, like not saying xylophone for an entire year. So you've said it. How many times have you said it already? <laughs> I saw my resolution. <laughs> I know, but that's how easy it is to come yeah. up. Once people start talking about xylophones, man. Yeah. My, my resolution is not to use words like perturbation. Yes. That's... The wind blowing outside, everyone. <laughs> that wind tells us that it's getting cold and chilly, and time for us to uh, call it a I'll call it a day. So, thank you all for listening. We will be back next week. Ian and I will be back next week. And I really want to thank you, though, Jason, for coming on the show this week thank and you. filling in as a as a guest host. I you stepped up admirably. I guess I was guest host, but you truly hosted, and I truly guested. <laughs> I can't say that I was more than. You know what? It's such an it's such an ephemeral. These titles are so so meaningless that it's oh, you can take it all. You can call yourself the captain of the show if you prefer. I feel that I was sort of the captain of the show. So we want to thank Admiral Dedrick for joining us in this episode. <laughs> we will be back next time with more levity. Thanks, everyone. Merry Bye. Christmas. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Bye. Taking part in this madness. Oh, it only only recorded four minutes and fifty six seconds. Oh dear. All right. Can we? Do you remember what you said? <laughs> <laughs>